This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Right, welcome to another edition of the Chelsea Fancast, 50 Years of Chelsea, and this week a very long-awaited episode from my point of view because it's an absolute belter of a season. Uh, but the other reason, of course, is that other than myself and the, and the wonderful Jonathan Kidd, we've lined up uh, arguably the, the best Chelsea double act since Kerry Dixon and David Speedy to talk you through this one, um, they have literally written the book on not just this year, but a certain game, which we'll be mentioning in a minute. And of course, uh, they are Kelvin Barker. Hi, Chich. And uh, good to see you, mate. And of course, the inimitable Mr. Marco Worrell. Good evening. Hello. Yes. And uh, as we know, Kelvin also wrote the fantastic um, Chelsea seller, or celery, should I say, representing Chelsea in the in the 80s. So you are really in for a treat, you lot, tonight. You really, really are. But before I do all that, how are you, gentlemen? Jonathan, are you well? Very good. Thanks, Chidge. Looking forward to this. Good. I'm going to take a back seat and just uh, just intersperse the odd uh, failed memory and yeah. uh, let the others drive it tonight, I you're, think. You're, you're just here for the comedy, love, as always. I am. Yeah, I am. indeed. Yeah. Uh, but you, I know you're nicely limbered up after last night's epic uh, Chelsea fan cast. So, uh, yes, well, two hours, 25 minutes without the emails. Without the emails, I know. Wow. I had, really? Yeah, wow. we had to bail out. Couldn't shut him, uh, Clayton, or Tony up, mate. They, they were got, just... Chidge got very limp after a bit, didn't you? You just you <laughs> became a, a rag, a wet rag. I uh, yeah, I needed a blue pill, let alone a blue flag, mate. That's for sure. <laughs> But uh, we digress. Uh, and Kelvin, I know that you're nice and relaxed and chilled. You've had a nice week away in the sun. You should be raring to go. Yep, lovely. Um, could have been quarantined, quarantining as we speak. Um, avoided it by about 10 hours. So it makes no difference because I'm sitting in my bedroom and doing this anyway. <laughs> well, there you go. I don't mind you being quarantined here for the next couple of hours, but there you go. And of course, Marco, we haven't seen you for a while, mate. Are you well? Yeah, all good. All good. Um 
left to my own devices this week by the missus and the kids. So doing a lot of writing. Lovely. Are you, you, you've put in the final touches to your next Chelsea Gate 17 classic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, remind us what it's going to be called. It is going to be called When Skies Are Grey, Super Frank, Chelsea and the Coronavirus Crisis. <laughs> It'll be on your bookshelves uh, soon. Well, that's the point, actually. Are you finishing it after the Bayern game? Yeah, it, yeah. It, yeah, it finishes there. Or, or it finishes when... Because um, I did have a cheeky little bet on Chelsea winning that game. <laughs> what have you been smoking, mate? Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But, the, you know. the spirit of Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, all we need is Doug Rugby. More of that later. Now, let's get on with this, because as I said, there's, there's... I mean, I was saying to Jonathan, funnily enough, last night, you know, in uh, anticipation of this evening, saying, you know what, mate, I can't... Th- this season, so many things happen. I looked down the list of games, so many memorable games that we still talk about now. Uh, so, as I said, really, really looking forward to doing it. Now, as I always do, I start off the show asking the chaps uh, what their hopes and fears were for the new season. And every week I get the same answer. Well, I thought we were going to win the league, they all say. Well, Jonathan, at least. But in all in all seriousness, how, how did... I mean, you know, you must have been so high in, on the anticipation after last season coming up, you know, as champions... Really good side coming together, expecting more players, you know, looking forward to Kerry Dixon banging the goals in. How did you feel before the ball was kicked, mate? As always, just uh, unbelievably optimistic. And particularly because Kerry was so good and his partnership, as you say, with uh, with Speedo was so fantastic. And, and also because uh, Nevin was such a class act as well. And as, as uh, you know, and I, I was a big fan of, of Nigel Spackman, attempted to play midfield myself. Um, uh, who I thought was uh, uh, unbelievably cool mm. and and had a a, a great a rather steely side to himself that um, you didn't think would be there but was there and uh, uh, I think Kelvin you say in one of the games in in your book that he 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 he, he thumped somebody didn't he um, took out uh, Graham Roberts didn't he that's right it was Roberts absolutely yeah. yes. tried, tried to do <laughs> tried to do a number on him but um but yeah uh, and I, um, it was also a, a uh, you once again you 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 were keen to see new people arrive but there there hadn't been a great um, splurge of players coming in but nonetheless you thought well it won't matter because they were so good last season um and also the great mickey thomas was still playing um uh no i was i was i was euphoric in anticipation i have to say there you go what about you kelv did you share jonathan's enthusiasm yeah i did i was um i was very confident we weren't going to struggle um I think there was a lot of people, you know, viewing it as, oh, here come Chelsea again, give them a year, they'll be back down again. Um, and I think we all knew, those of us who've been watching the season before, be knew that we weren't going to struggle. <laughs> huh? It would be five years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an achievement waiting that long for us, to be fair, isn't it? I mean, that's a, yeah. that's a measure of success. But you, you, were, you were optimistic, because you'd seen how good we were the season before. Exactly, and... Um, I, I, was, I was at the start of um, sorry, at the back end of uh, the previous season. I was working like a part-time job in Tesco's in Gloucester Road, and there was a QPR fan there. He was a lovely bloke, actually. He's a really nice guy. I met up from uh, met up with him for a drink this um, summer before the season started, and he was winding me up and saying, "Oh, typical Chelsea, you'll be up for a season, you'll be back down again." But I remember having a really serious conversation with him and saying, "You know, 
watch this Chelsea team. You're you're going to be surprised if you think that this this team is a soft touch like the previous teams have been. Yeah. You just knew we, we were never going to struggle. I mean, you know, the thing is, Marco, in, in those days. I mean, actually, you know, there have been. I mean, Sheffield Wednesday, Wednesday, Sheffield United are a good example of that this season. But in those days, particularly, it wasn't unprecedented for a side to do really, really well in Division Two, come up and do really well in Division One. Nottingham Forest being the best example of that. So, Ipswich, Ipswich. yeah, Ipswich is another good example, mate. But I mean, you know, did you have that kind of feeling about you thinking, oh, 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 we're good, we could do some stuff here, we could do some damage in Division One. I think I was more excited about the fact that I was actually a part of, I wouldn't call it a firm, but I was i was part of a gang. You're a gang. So, yeah. So I was kind of like looking forward to, after a peripatetic few years, looking forward to um, actually, you know, putting a run of games together, um, which I hadn't been able to do properly. Um, and the fact that, you know, we, we kind of got promoted was made it doubly exciting um, you know, to to go and go and go. I was more excited about going away, to be honest with you. Um, just go, just going to the big grounds, um, which have been off the radar for so long. It's a good, it's a good point you make there, Marco, because we haven't seen you for a few years in terms of this series. Um, and uh, now, I mean, I've read all your books. Obviously, is this the, is this the infamous Carl Shorten gang? No, no, no. This is the Honest Gang. The Honest the- Gang. That, that metamorphosed into gate 17 bloody hell but yeah 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 so i mean essentially i i'd spent um the the latter part of the 70s and the early 80s at, at college in the midlands um so you know and my mum and dad had split up so my dad was out in windsor my mum was up north so it was kind of like tricky pulling putting it together and having a gang of mates to go to games with but that sort of came together at the back end of the previous season um so we were all kind of chomping at the bit yeah for, for this one well you um, were you go on mate no no I was, I was just saying so that that was kind of the excitement for me was um you know watching Chelsea back in the big time and you know do, doing like the bigger ways you know United Villa um you know the London clubs that, that was that was the real buzz for me. Um, I, you know, like Kelvin said, I, I knew we had a good team. I think everybody knew that. And and kind of back then, you, you never really thought that it wasn't really on the radar that you got promoted and relegated the next season. Um, not not the not the way it is in the modern game, where I think you know three teams come up and two invariably go down. Mm. Um, uh, as luck would have it, uh, our first match uh, is away at Arsenal at, uh, at Highbury on the 25th of August 1984, which is a match that has gone down in absolute history uh, in Chelsea annals. Um, I think it's safe to say that all of you who were there and a fair few of you who were locked out were rather excited to be back in Division 1. Isn't that the case, Kelvin? Yeah, you could say that. And I think from the minute that the fixtures came out and we saw it was Arsenal away, any London game was, was just going to get the the pot boiling nicely. Um, Arsenal, well, we knew we'd go there. We knew we'd take liberties there. We knew we'd be all over the ground. Nothing you know, changes, Kelv. No, no, this is true. Um, 
So they, uh, I remember the, the, the fixtures came out and Ken Bates was on the back pages the next um, the next day with his uh, off in a prayer um, because he'd seen the, uh, the, the, the the fixture. Um, we, I think we were just all buzzing for it. They tried to make, well, they did make it an early kickoff to try to quell any sort of danger of um, mass crowd trouble. And I think there was some trouble that day, but I think mostly it was just a bit one big party. I mean, what, what was the theory behind that? I never got that, that the, what, the, the morning you know, kickoff, you wouldn't have been in the pub. Was it just down to that? Yeah, that's what Basic it is. Yeah. That, I thought you could create trouble at any time of the day. It didn't seem to make any difference to me. There always seemed to be trouble regardless. I suppose it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be piss trouble, I suppose. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's what was, what was behind it, yeah. Mm, interesting stuff. Um, Jonathan, you, you were there, no doubt, were you? I was. You um, were, uh, you know, sitting uh, with an Arsenal f- friend. You course. well, I mean, this is the thing, isn't it? Because I mean, the uh, if if you if anybody's uh, you know, go and Google if you haven't seen it. There's an inf- a famous picture of the clock end, uh, which is where Chelsea supporters were. If you want to see what football was like in the eighties before it all got sanitized, just Google it. You know, Chelsea or Arsenal versus Chelsea, Highbury. You know, August twenty uh, nineteen eighty four. Just look at that picture because that whole end is rammed, absolutely rammed with Chelsea fans. Boiling, boiling, with yeah, Chelsea. boiling, absolutely. And I mean, I've seen, I've, I've seen this weird footage of uh, ITV's coverage, which kind of also includes like half an hour before it all kicks off, which is fascinating. And Brian Moore kind of like talking to his technical guys and stuff, and it was rammed well before kickoff. But the thing is, as, as we all know, it was rammed with Chelsea fans everywhere because they reckon there was about 20,000 there that day from the Chelsea fans. I th- don't know what the capacity was, 40-odd thousand, 45,000, I don't know. What was it, Kel? I think it was 45-ish. 45-ish. So where were you sitting then, Jonathan? Because I don't think you were in the clock end, were you? I, I can't remember whether I... They, they, see, they, had, an, they had an enclosure at, at halfway down, I think. Um, uh, I was opposite the brass band. They always had that brass band that played to the... To the right of the uh, good old um, Arsenal, the clock end, didn't they? And it was, it was, and, it, and they'd play sit, they'd play sitting down. They rarely came out to, to parade on the pitch. I think they did occasionally in some games. That's all gone a bit foggy for me. But are, are, and they occasionally some they get a, 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 a woman, a rather large operatic singer to sing as well at some of those games. Well, I might be going back into the sixties here, but uh, but uh, I, I can't remember who was singing that day on uh, the one one. But it was. Um, phenomenal well it's that thing of it's populated with Chelsea fans most of whom don't want to uh, exhibit to manifest their their uh, allegiance for fear of being hit because they're amongst Arsenal fans so there's a lot of when Chelsea score of course there's a kind of lots of people going and just holding themselves in their seats just in case not not in the pictures I've seen Jonathan because I mean well I, I, yes, but that, I always think those people are very brave. I'm afraid I, I learned very early. Well, shall we on. ask a couple? I didn't want to get well. Depending on if they were in the clock end, they're allowed absolutely allowed to go. Berserk. But I mean, but this is but the if thing. Anywhere else, I just you know leaping out of your seat, you're going to get a punch. I in just, uh, in in, in Kelvin and uh, and Marco's book, which you know we should promote heavily during this show, I believe, which is called Chelsea Here, Chelsea There, which is just brilliant. I mean, only these two could write a book about one game which was just basically a first division game where Chelsea drew, you know. But on the cover, Marco, which is brilliant because, you know, it highlights Kerry's legendary celebration. Of course, I've half-inched that for the banner we've got in uh, in the Matthew Harding end, as you know. 
um, or just a little bit of it. Um, but in that cover, you can absolutely see Chelsea supporters, uh, you know, in the other side of the ground, not the clock end, arms aloft, you know. And that's what happened, wasn't it, when Kerry scored? It, suddenly you realised that there were so many Chelsea fans all over the place. Where where were you sitting? Me? Yeah. I, I, well, I wasn't sitting. You were in the clock just, end? Yeah, I was in the clock. Um, I think, I, I'm pretty certain we were sort of just under the clock. Um, so up by the back, but there were loads of kids. There's a couple of photographs, actually, um, sort of perspective pictures, and there were loads of kids on the on the corrugated sheeting um, that that ran along the back. Uh, and I think sort of being being at the game, it's kind of you know you knew there were a lot of Chelsea uh, supporters in there, but it but it's only sort of with the passage of time and the availability of sort of the internet and fo- and more photographs that weren't readily available in, in any kind of library, you know, back then, um, that, that you, you sort of truly got a sense of how many Chelsea supporters were in there. Um, you know, there's a picture of, of Kerry celebrating a different angle, not the one where he's leaping in the air in the front cover. There's another one of him sort of punching the fish, his fist in the air, and you, you can see... Um, down one of the the sides that there are Chelsea supporters just in 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 the home stand, you know, getting up and cheering. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was just truly extraordinary the whole the whole experience. Um, but it's kind of you know, it, it, with the benefit of um, you know the the TV coverage becoming available on YouTube and lots of photographs from the day. I think you know people who people who were there kind of realised, bloody hell, it really was that packed. Um, well, you know, there's a picture. You know you know the picture of Kerry leaping? The one yeah. that you, Dave got me the, 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 uh, yeah. the picture of from the wall. There's a wider lens photo of that, which you see more of the TV gantry. And as you're looking at it, on the left-hand side, as you're looking at it, there's some bloke going loopy on the gantry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On the TV gantry. <laughs> the cam- was it the cameraman I, he must have been working he must have been one of, working of the, for, them. for that sort of reason yeah absolutely yeah, insane but he's just going balmy yeah it's insane isn't it um, I mean I think you know the the, the, the the mantra from this guy I mean you know three things stand out for me you know I wasn't there but you know I, I've done my research and actually it's interesting isn't it because a lot of people talk about you know games you really regret not being to um, and I think this is probably, probably number one for me. I wish I'd been at this game. If I could turn the clock back, then I would have loved to have been there. And I think that's largely, interestingly enough, that has more to do with the tales that the mates that I've I've got who were there have told me about what it was like to be there. Because in terms of electricity and nerve-tingling excitement of being at a football match and, and adrenaline pumping, this about tops it. And of course... The three things that I was about to mention, one is Doug Rugby putting Viv Anderson into Rose Ed, which any football fan of a certain vintage absolutely loves. And and Dougie was making his debut, wasn't he, Kelv? Having just come down yeah, yeah, from, from Aberdeen. Nine, yeah. 
Yeah. That was his the best game, though, wasn't it, Kelvin? That was his best yeah. game for Chelsea. That was the trouble. It certainly was, yeah. <laughs> the next time he went to North London and played at Spurs, he pretty much ended his Chelsea career. John Chidozzi yes. ran him ragged, and that was it. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, as a quick aside about, you know, Doug the Thug, Marco. I mean, having, I mean, as people will know, I, I, I dish out loads of YouTube clips for you lot to remind yourselves of what happened. Not that I need to with you and Kel, because your memories are dynamite, but... Um, the one thing that occurred to me watching a lot of this stuff was number one how absolutely shit most of the pitches were, particularly at Stamford Bridge, and how and what a cart horse Dougie was. Bless him. I mean, I have really rose tinted kind of spectacles when it comes to him, but having seen him, I was just going to say I always remember um, speaking to Canners uh, about this game. And he, he does this really bad Scottish accent. Canners, Canners, man, Canners. Yeah, he, he was saying about Doug Rugby. He kept he kept saying to to Canners, 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 you gotta help me out, man. Help me out. <laughs> That's very true. That's very very true. He but... seems to rely heavily on just booting the ball up the pitch, yeah. Doug Rugby, yeah. and tackling people with the other leg, sort of crippling them at the same time as the tackle. Yeah. That, that, they, he was an enforcer, wasn't he, JK? That's what we would yeah, call well, him. Yeah. A, a not very good enforcer. An no. Enforcer. Well, no. Uh, well, uh, he had a go. He would try and wipe somebody out, but uh, he wasn't the greatest uh, well, creative fullback that we've had. Well, those with a passion for Doug Rugby will not be disappointed that he will feature very largely later on in this show. Now, the the second thing that that obviously everybody takes away from this game is Kerry's goal, Kelv, which. You know, in a sense, I, I think. I mean, we all know that it's his favourite uh, favourite goal. We're going to hear about him, uh, you know, talking about it in a minute. But uh, in, a, I think it kind of epitomises Kerry as a striker. Actually, you know, skill, tenacity, and you know, he had that kind of determination, didn't he? It was a quality goal. Yeah, absolute confidence when the chance came. You know, had a go on his left, saved, went back up happy to just volley it in in front of all those fans. You know, he was full of confidence at that point anyway. Um, and, you know, I think Tommy Caton was marking him that day and, and, and couldn't get near him, really. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think the, the modern-day term for that celebration after he scored his limbs, I don't think I've ever seen celebrations like that since. Um, it was just bonkers, wasn't it? I mean, it's just fantastic when you watch that. You get goosebumps every time you watch that goal and you see that away and go up. Even, I mean, because actually the interesting thing was I did find uh, a YouTube clip which had BBC commentary, so clearly that had been on Match of the Day, and yet the commentary that I've seen most of all was Brian Moore, which meant it was on the big match. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I, I think big match back that season was shown on Saturday nights, um, but it was definitely big match. That's what, that was the, the, um, the, the I had a VHS of it. The There's what? a transcript of... Um of uh, Moore's commentary in, in, in the Chelsea here, Chelsea there book. So, I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll just read this. I can't do the voice. Ruby it is who steps up and strikes the ball cleanly with his right foot. The ball travels deep and reaches Kerry Dixon inside the Arsenal penalty area. Dixon, oh, Jennings saves with his feet and Dixon again and Chelsea have equalised. There's a huge roar from those Chelsea fans in the clock end where Dixon has just found the back of the net. There seem to be Chelsea fans everywhere in this round. All of them <laughs> from here on their feet cheering. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. Other, other than me. Other than you, you old party <laughs> pooper you are. Uh, Jonathan, you could have got away with it 
Uh, a couple of years after that, when we didn't have 20,000 there, the year we got relegated, we had a night match there. Um, and I I was um, working out Eriff way and I was late getting there. I, I mean, I, I got there for the start, but it was already packed in the ground. I ended up having to sort of like hang about trying to get a ticket. And I ended up going in with a complete stranger who was an Arsenal fan with a season ticket, a spare season ticket. So I paid. He, he said I, I could go in with him. And I was in the same stand that, that Jonathan was in for the uh, for the, the one all game. And all night long, I just let them have it in there. And I was on my own in there. And the only person, and Jonathan might know him, the only person who gave me anything back out of all the Arsenal fans in that stand was a bloke who played PC Quinnan, I think his name was in the bill. I would, I can't remember his name. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I did two yeah. episodes. I was in two episodes of the bill playing two, right. different, two different villains. <laughs> and... Uh, so I would know. I can't remember who it was. If it was one of the main guys, wasn't it? In it, he yeah, was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he was quite gobby, but none of the others wanted to know. <laughs> Typical. I'm very lucky. I'm afraid all my experiences of of uh, of being surrounded by by Chelsea fans who've leapt up, who've then been punched or escorted out <laughs> by the police, has, has has left a you know my experience is such that I'd rather not have that happen. So I just hit on my hands and yeah. uh, not Jonathan's uh, the one in the go. Not the face. Not the face. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Internally, I'm thinking definitely not the, not the not the face or the ghoulies, Chidge. Anything like that, please. Thank you. Actually, I I always thought that you know, given what we've been talking about for the last few weeks, the impression I was under, Jonathan, you were more scared of the Chelsea fans than you were of the of the opposition fans. Well, I didn't seem to make any difference who I was confronted by. They'd still try and kick me. So Indeed, you're right. Yeah. Anyway, um, why don't we hear from not just the great man himself, Mr. Kerry Dixon, on on his favourite goal, but also Colin Pates, who by now is Chelsea's captain on uh, what it was like playing at uh, Highbury that day and, of course, Kerry's goal. So, you know, we're, we're back in Division 1, where we belong. Uh, first match uh, against Arsenal at Highbury, as yep. it was. Uh, your captain. Yep. We're back. I mean, how, how special was all of that? That goes in the top top two games of all time for me. Really? Um, yeah. I mean, that was just incredible. I mean, the one thing I remember coming out, it really brought a tear to my wow. eye because I came out and I saw at the clock end. The whole of the clock end, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, crammed in. I just looked up and I, I said to one of the lads, is that not supposed to be like a home, one of the home ends and all that? You know, yeah. I mean, you know evidently not. And, you know, and it was just full of Chelsea. Yeah. I mean, they were all around the side. So I was in the seat, They were all up hanging Where, where were you? Where I was in you? the West End. Where you? Yeah, yeah. How, yeah. Many, how many did we have in the West End? Probably 500. Brilliant. And that was Arsenal's main yeah. seat, Denton and all that. Was sitting really? They was all sitting in there, yeah. How about that? Yeah. It was incredible. That's it. You know, the lads sort of having a little few words during the game. And we were saying that, you know, the reason why it made you feel so proud is because, like, we were so pleased to be back in the top flight yeah, yeah, yeah. that the fans deserved it more than anybody because, you know, they'd stuck with us all throughout the, yeah, yeah. the bad times and yeah. then now we're back where we belong. It was like an overwhelming day for me, honestly. Yeah, brilliant day, yeah. Excellent stuff. The crowd, it, 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 was, it became synonymous and part of it and, and the Arsenal game, you didn't know what to expect. You knew that there'd be enough but the sheer euphoria of it and you say what it meant to people I knew talking to fans and talking to people mm. we're back we're in the second division hold on we've just we've just equalised or we've just drawn afterwards at a team that challenges for the title the the Arsenal yeah. at their own mm. in their own backyard and Chelsea very were, expensive signings 
Mariner, Woodcock, Evans, you know, they had some good players, great Pat Jennings, they had a yeah. very good side. Internationals. In, inter- international side. Yeah. And this team that They didn't have Doug Rugby, mate. No, they never, the no, but he... <laughs> he, he let them know that he was about. <laughs> so he let Viv Anderson well, that know. Well, going to say, he nearly put him in the Rosette or tried to. Yeah, Viv tells a story about it. And when he, <laughs> he got hit by this train on the halfway line as he went to, on an overlap, but he didn't know what what, what hit him. He said, uh, he told me, what have you signed at left back? <laughs> he he said, was a put player and a person, Doug Groovy. Nice fella. Doug was a diamond, really nice bloke. Um, as a footballer? Really nice bloke. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I mean, you know, Kerry, obviously, he look, he looks at it, he looks back on that with very big fondness because, of course, you know, it's one of his favourite, if not his favourite goal. Brilliant goal. I mean, I think Doug Ruby took the free kick, didn't he? Yeah, and, and well, the after, shortly after he took Viv Anderson or tried to boot him into the... <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that? Remember Do you remember that? that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think Doug did that quite a bit, actually. Yeah, brilliant, um, but, brilliant. No, Kerry's goal was fantastic, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, great goal. Yeah, I mean, it was just a. I always remember it was a really sunny day as well. Yeah, that's it. Lovely and hot. Kick-off, yeah, wasn't it? beautiful. Early day. morning. Kick-off. Yeah, 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 it was lovely. Yeah. Sun was shining. Yeah, it goes down as one of the top three. Definitely. Yeah. Excellent stuff. But in terms of what it meant, um, not necessarily the quality of the goal. It wasn't the best goal necessarily I scored for Chelsea, but we were back. It made a. It made an announcement. It. It. The amount of people that were there to receive that announcement yeah. in the clock end and everywhere else. Well, Good, goodness me, there was up in the seats. I even saw scuffling in the North Bank, which was normal then. Yeah. Um, it was incredible. Yeah. Chelsea fans were everywhere. You, you, the whole day when the, when the team bus pulled around the corner, um, it was a sea of blue uh, all the way up the hill, coming down. You're trying to get to the changing rooms. I thought, goodness me, when you come onto the field... Brilliant, the singing and the noise levels were fantastic. Of course, when the goal went in, oh, I jumped, but it seemed like everyone was yeah, jumping. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, everyone was in the air. Yeah. It, it's an, I mean, the picture on Ken Bates' wall and the picture that is quite synonymous with that particular game yeah. um, is, is well rehearsed and well, well shown. Over the arms up. Yeah, yeah, and the crowd in behind, it was like going crazy. And I mean, anyone who's in there, the people who were in there... Well, oh, apparently, there are, if you work out how many were there, it's about 400,000 at the last count. Yes. Well... You know. I think the, yeah. <laughs> but there were so about 15,000, 20,000 Chelsea in there. 11.30 kick-off as well. 11.30 kick-off, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. It was incredible. Marvellous. Now, um, we then play uh, Sunderland at home where we win 1-0 and uh, Clive Walker, who'd uh, been sold to the Sunderland uh, side, uh, returns. Um, but did he get a warm welcome, Kelv? He did that day. Um, remember this clearly, actually. When the teams were warming up before the start, the shed was singing his name and he gave a big wave and a, and a clap. And, uh, yeah, he did get a warm welcome. Later on in the season, I know we're going to come to it, he also got a, um, a warm welcome and ignored the Chelsea fans. Ah. But you'll get me started soon enough on Clive Walker. I was going to say, a schoolboy <laughs> error on, on Mr Walker's part, but we'll find out more about that later. Um, we win that 1-1-0, and then we've got Everton at home, um, which is interesting, actually, because this is one of the YouTube clips I pinged out. And uh, I'll tell you what, Marco, the thing that really struck me about this game, I mean, because Everton, for those that don't know, they go on and, and win the title this year, and they had a very handy side. Um, very handy side. A lot of England players in there. Nev Southall in goal. It was a handy side. But do you know what, Marco? I, I watched the match on, on YouTube this afternoon and, and I thought, fuck me, both sides look really quite average here. They, were, they weren't they were putting in a good shift at all, which surprised me. 
Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think that I think the trouble with watching um, old clips of, of games where, where there's quite where there's more than just um, you know the the goal mouth action is the, the pace of the game seems a lot slower. Um, that, that that's kind of the impression I get. Maybe I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. But yeah, you're right um, with with this one. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe it was just weird because it was a Friday night. Right, August thirty first, Friday night kickoff. It was an evening match, wasn't it? I think was it on. Yeah. Was, it, was it live on telly? Game. Yeah, it was live. Yeah. I so I remember. Like... I remember Batesy moaning like mad um, about the attendance being rubbish, being affected by the telly, wasn't it? It was like under twenty thousand, wasn't it? The attendance. That was his big thing, wasn't was it? it? He, he said they weren't being paid enough for the uh, for the telly, which was to surface later <coughs> on in the season over the uh, the, the, uh, the was it the Sunderland game? That was his big thing. He really objected yeah. to them. To them because he felt they weren't because it was going to affect the gate and he was absolutely right of course not yeah, one for holding back 000. sorry Kels go on just under 18,000 just just looking it up here it's just under 18,000 yeah. I mean I, I think I think to be honest with you that I'm not sure if live TV was such a big thing then I think it was more the fact that it was like a Friday at, at 7.15 as, as much as anything um, I mean even now you know it's just a rubbish kickoff time, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, <laughs> it is. It doesn't happen very often, does it? Uh, but and I'd say amen to that. Uh, now, one thing I wanted to ask you, Jonathan, about this match. Um, you know, we know that uh, those that those of us, our friends in the north, shall we say, have never been too hot in the fashion. Um, but Everton were sporting flares of another kind, according to Kelvin's tomb of a book. And apparently, the Everton, the north, those naughty little scallywags from Liverpool. Uh, the blue side of Liverpool, uh, fired a flare into the East Stand, which immediately got me thinking, I wonder if uh, it hit you. Um, it was below. I think it went into the East Stand lower, if I remember. Did it? Yeah. 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 Um, uh, it wafted up, but um, I can't... Re- I think it was... I can't remember. Was it further down to the right? I think it may have been nearer the away fans when it went in. I can't remember. I remember it wafting across, though. But um, it was blue, so we didn't seem to mind as much, actually. <laughs> OK. It was so... their first game, wasn't it, since... Um, was it 78, wasn't it? Um, they came and there was the infamous... High, High Street, Street Ken. Game. Yeah. Yeah. And it was their first time down. Because I remember that um, they got kept in after the game and uh, we just happened to be in a pub where Hickey and his mob were as well. And uh, <laughs> Chelsea were anxious to get out as soon as Everton... Were, were allowed out I, I seem to recall but yeah that was what that was all about it was there was that history from high street ken it's funny that you know we never we never mentioned that 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 year when we did it which is a great shame because my my old chum psycho phil used to tell me i mean he was involved shall we say running along the district line track apparently but um <laughs> but apparently uh him and his mates and i'm sure a lot of others all sported t-shirts i was there for high street ken or something like that we're knocking around for quite a while afterwards, but there you go. Really? Uh, dear old Phil, bless his heart. Um, anyway, was that's... the other ruck, sorry, Chish, was the other ruck on the clip that you um, that you sent, man? I didn't, I didn't watch the Everton game, but right at the end of the game, Paul Canaville and John Bailey. Was that... Oh yes, was it, it, was. it was, oh. it John was, it was. 
because Bailey had all the mouth. He was always like he was an irritant. Yeah. Uh, he thought he was something special, but he was a bit of a clown, really. But whatever he said to Cannaville at the end of that game, Canners was going to kill him. And he chased him down the tunnel, yeah, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. And Bailey couldn't get off the pitch quick enough. No, uh, well, John John Hollins uh, was holding Canners back. But, oh, was he? Yeah. Right. But uh, I've I've talked to Canners about that in the past. Buggered if I can remember what he said. But I, I think there might have been a bit of racial abuse that went down yeah. there. Canners flipped. Yeah, you know, totally lost it. He did, and I mean, you know, Canners is not not backwards at going forwards. He's he's probably the most affable bloke any of us will ever meet. We've all met him. We all know him really well. Um, he's a real pussycat, but you don't want to wind him up. You know, once no. he's going, he goes. But you're right. Yeah, that was on the telly. Motson was loving it. He, he gave, that was the best bit of commentary he gave in the whole game, actually. I think. <laughs> but uh, anyway, Chelsea lose one nil, which is actually the first game we've lost for a long, 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 long time. Uh, but, um, you know, the early part of this season, um, you know, which, you know, really, I think, it, I think the main thing that comes out of it from me is it's actually nearly all about the aggro. Uh, we go to United away, we draw what one one. What a night that was. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm wondering, you see, my memory's so shit, which is really why I have you guys on this show. But uh, Chell Tell used to tell this brilliant story uh about going up to Old Trafford and I, I'm convinced it's this game. It may well have been the season after. I don't really remember. But he went to a Man United game where I think he I think he, he knew I think it was John McLaughlin he knew, but he managed to get into the players' bar after the game. And he was quite pissed and he kind of wandered out afterwards and got lost. And he and he kind of ended up on the pitch. And he and he needed a piss, so he thought, well, why not? And he pissed on the Old Trafford pitch. I'm sure, I'm sure it was this game. It could have been, it could have been Brilliant. a season or two. I mean, he did a he did a whole half hour story about this on the Chelsea Fancast years ago, and it's uh, and it, you know one of Chell's Chell tells classic stories. But it could have been that. But of course, that had aggro in it. Villa away, where we lose four two. There was aggro there, um, and then we we got West Ham at home. Uh, which is right after that, where we actually win 3-0, I'm delighted to say. But, of course, you know, inevitably aggro there with the ice cream factory that turned up from the East End. But actually, in a sense, for me, it kind of epitomises that era, Kelv. This was, I mean, I've put it in the the notes, haven't I? It was like, you know, and Tell used to say this to me as well. He said, Chidge, it was like not going to a football match, it was like strolling down the high street in Beirut. You know, yeah. it was a mean time, wasn't it? West Ham was the first time I'd actually seen somebody stabbed. Yeah. I saw the aftermath of somebody um, who'd been stabbed and the sh- on the shed concourse. Um, yeah, they were, they, they brought a, a, a big firm down. I think the story was they went in early into gate 13 and then when gate 13 turned up, they got weird out of there. But they then turned up at some point in the second half in the West End. Um, and made their presence felt in there. And then they tried to get in the shed. I was in the shed myself, but they, they came up the, um, like the Bovel Gate, um, but just weight of numbers pushed them straight back out. But they were, yeah, they made their presence felt all day long, to be fair, West End. Mm. Not very pleasant day for anybody who was there. I mean, you know, we get Millwall in the League Cup, which, of course, you know, the, fo- the whole football factory thing comes into this. And, Again, you know, a, a really uh, tasty fixture for the wrong reasons. I mean, Marco, you know, you, you as you were saying, you were going home and away uh, that season, kind of the first time you were really going, you know, most matches. You had your own little gang there. 
Um, I mean, you know, wherever Chelsea went, there was there was ag, wasn't there? Basically, it was it was a ripe old time for it. Yeah, I mean, we we got, got sort of just popping briefly back to that United game. We we used to uh, my mate Vic had this old Peugeot four hundred four sedan, which had bench seats in the front and a bench seat. Oh in God, the back. yeah, I remember those cars and, and a sunroof, and and you could get eight of us in it, unbelievably. <laughs> and, and we went up to we went up to United. Um, called, called into Eric Bristow's. There's a great photograph of all the boys in their Lecoq sporty tops with Eric Bristow. We called into Stoke on the way up there, um, had a beer with him, and then went to the game. We got up there, parked up, I don't know, about half a mile, I think by the cricket ground, actually, at Old Trafford. And, and just as we did that, I think it was, it might have been Hickey's coach. I, I don't know. I mean, it was like a coach with the proper firm in there. And they saw us getting out. <laughs> and they said, they said, uh, like, have you got the time? Or, you know, like the old trick, have you got the time, son? And it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, all right, okay. Do you want to come with us, lads? We're going to take the Stretford end. <laughs> We're getting in there early. And it's like, fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> So what well, did they? Did, they did. Were you I mean, there? It, we were in the we were in the scoreboard end. It was quite it was quite an interesting game actually because Mickey Thomas was getting pelters from their lot um, the whole game because obviously he he played, he, was, he, he played for them and then of course he equalised for Chelsea um, and, and and it all went a bit potty. Um, and, and just after he equalised, there was that kind of you used to see it uh, at football grounds in the old ends, where you know a handful of of lads would go in, a really small firm, but but everybody around them had clear. It, it was like really weird to watch from great holes. The holes the would clear, wouldn't they, Marco? They were holes. like sinkholes, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, holes yeah, yeah exactly. around them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then and then obviously. The, the, the firm from the home end would, would um, get in there and then the old bill would come in and pincer everyone out and it had all and, and the amorphous blob would all come together again. Uh, but yeah, that was, was quite unique. And I think it was after that game that um, my mate Solari, who, who's a Ugandan-Asian kid, um, bless him, he, I, I was telling him about uh, I was telling him about the United game. He said, oh, I want to come up you got to take me to Chelsea. And I said, I can't, mate. It's, it's too racist. And his first game was actually that West Ham game that Shit. Kelvin was just talking. That was his debut. Bloody hell. Um, and, and, and his next game was Millwall. Did he give up and support someone else? This is a true story. He, he was, he was um, a couple, I can't remember who it was. A couple of lads asked 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 Solari to hold their coats while they were fighting out on the Fulham Road after the game, and he was just stood there and said, "I want to come every week." <laughs> <laughs> we, we'd be, and I swear to, I mean, it was pretty scary because I think people just used to look at him with us, like you know, the kid with the suntan. He must be a nutter. Um, yeah, for being in there, um, and it, and it kind of he got 
we had a few problems from time to time in the years that followed, but there was nothing. It wasn't as bad as you know what what the players got um, at, at that time. You know, Paul Canners, for example. You know, the preceding years. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just crazy, and and it was, you know, the expression "it's gone off." <laughs> you know, how how often you would say that. And it was just game after game. I mean, it was like, you know, we, we were like thinking, oh, we're going to get battered here because, like, somebody's just going to follow us back to the car and, and do us. Um, but we, 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 we just used to blag it all the time. Well, that was, a, that was a universal fear, though, wasn't it, Marco, that I was always sure that somebody would follow us after you'd been to an away game. I'd, we used to hide. We'd go and hide behind trees. We'd see if anybody was following us. Oh, no, we... I know we'll come up. I'm sure we'll come on to it later. But I've got a funny story about Sheffield Wednesday away. All right, we'll we'll part <laughs> running, that running one. out of petrol. Lovely. I'm looking well, forward just, to that. Can I, can I Go just on, Jonathan. Question about the fact that Keith Jones and Keith Dublin then played for the rest of the season. Were they? I don't remember this specifically, but were they subjected to a lot of racial abuse as well as as as? Yes. Paul? Yeah. Not, yeah. Yeah. They were. Yeah. I mean, Keith Jones, and I think. Kid has got it on the notes for us to discuss, but that United game when United beat us three-one and Jones had basically his first bad game for Chelsea. Yes, I remember. He got absolutely slaughtered for it. And don't tell me if they have. Well, for instance, say that had been Spackers mm. or Spackers, yeah, yeah. Any, any white player was not going to get that. A young, a young guy being booed off the pitch by his own fans mm. on his first bad 45 minutes when actually he's been dismantled by Brian Robson. Um, at his you know, peak at that time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, before and, before and the booze kicked him. in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it did. It destroyed him. It destroyed him at Chelsea. And he could play. Keith Jones could play. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, do you know, it's an interesting point, picking up on that, actually. You know, because we, we remember, obviously... You know, Canners breaking through and, and all the racism attached to that. Uh, and just watching a lot of the clips today and seeing, you know, in the same team, I mean, the, the City team stuck out, I think, actually, for, for many reasons, the League Cup match. But, you know, you've got Canners playing, Keith Jones playing, Keith Dublin playing. Chelsea had three black players playing at that time. You know, which is, it's easy to forget, I think, that, uh, that, that we, we had so many black players playing for us, which is great. And then we got City... And this is this. I don't know. This really, this really. I forgot all about this. Alex Williamson, the black keeper. You don't see many black keepers. And City had a black yeah. keeper. Yeah, yeah. He was excellent. He was an excellent keeper as well. Yeah. Well, he stitched he us up the season before, didn't he? Yeah, he yeah. He, he didn't never seem to have a. Uh, did he get get into the England squad at all? I don't think he did. I don't remember that happening. No, I'm not sure. He certainly played for under twenty ones or twenty threes or whatever it was at the time. He was, he was very very skillful. I, I think what I'm kind of saying in a rather oblique way. Is that the irony? Given given the times that we were living in then, um, it was pretty grim. Early eighties, late seventies, early eighties, and yet around this time, you see a lot of black players breaking through into a lot of clubs. You know, and mm. and I mean, you know, we we had Viv Anderson, didn't we, in the first match against Arsenal? Of course, he was England's first black player. So it seemed to me to be the time when they all started breaking through, which just yes, yeah, Kelvin. That that four one game the in the League Cup against City, their best player was Clive Wilson. Absolutely. Who, you know, three seasons later um joined Chelsea. He's the first one I think who came and didn't necessarily get a hard time from the fans. Mm. I think the first three, Dublin, Jones and Canners, 
all got it. And I think from Clive Wilson onwards, there was a there was a mellowing, a rapprochement. Um, yeah, and then Moncal, of course, came in and got player of the year. Yeah, he did. I mean, it's interesting. We should talking to Clive Wilson. I did. I did think of that watching it this afternoon because Marco will remember this when we went to the very weird uh, DVD launch of Sakeri of Dixon. Uh, you know, fame, and we went, we ended up in this funny little club in Soho. We'd had a few, but I mean, I, I picked I picked Marco up, and he'd been out with Uncle Keith all bloody afternoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were well on our way, and we turned up, and we actually sat. Uh, I can't remember where you were now, but the table I was sat at, Clive Wilson was there on the table with us, yeah, yeah. and what a lovely, lovely, lovely bloke. Yeah. Most unassuming guy, absolute sweetheart. He really, really is. He lives around here. Church. Does he really? He lives around this way. He's been around here for years. He was working in a school, I think, sort of Stratford way. But I'm, he's, you know, I'm, I'm Woodford, and he's, he's out, out here somewhere. You see him around quite a lot. I bumped into him in Tesco once. The only time I actually had a proper chat to him. But, um, but yeah, see him around quite often. Mm. I, think, I think just, just going on, just close that point off. I, I always thought, sort of looking back, that this, the mid '80s period. Um, just in terms of the 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 level of levels of like hatred, like racial hatred, and and just violence um, in general in society, and obviously football was a part of that, and with so many others, I think it was a lot worse then than it was, um, you know, in the seventies, in in the mid late seventies, just in terms of um, I think everything was a lot starting to get a lot more organised, um, and you know I think that I think the police were didn't I think the police were a lot more organised, but they didn't help matters much. Um, well, they were part of the problem. Sorry, Kel, right. go on. Yeah, you know that was that was the big, biggest organised firm that this country's probably ever seen: the police against the miners. Police, yeah, yeah. It's an interesting point you make, actually, chaps. Um, and, you know, you were all going to the football and, and, you know, I think that football hooliganism was probably at its, at its you know, zenith at that time in the mid-80s. Um, I wasn't doing the football thing. I was still down. It's before I moved to London. But I was very, very into music then and doing a lot of gigs. And, you know, the kind of music I liked, as we all know, is a bit punky. So that, and I, I always, I mean, I was rubbish. I mean, I am such a lover and not a fighter. I mean, I'm, I'm about as useful as a chocolate teapot in a fight. But luckily, I had the, always had the good intelligence and sense to surround myself by some very hard people. So, and wherever we went in a gig, you know, it, it would, it would always kick off, you know. And my mates were really handy, so it kind of helped. But it, it just would kick off if you were slightly different from somebody else. It would kick off. You know, and we were often a target because we looked a bit different. And I think you need to set this in the context. I mean, Kelvin mentioned and, and Marco mentioned, you know, the miners' strike, which begat, uh, you know, the first kind of I would call militarized police force we've seen in this country. Now, the end of this uh, season, eighty-five, they had the uh, the Battle of the Beanfield. Now, my lot, we were all going to Stonehenge for the illegal festival every summer, and. Uh, a load of my mates went that year where it all kicked off with the luckily I, I had a massive hangover and missed the ride out there so I didn't you know get the shit kicked out of me but you know they were all they all came down the police came down from Grimethorpe that day 
you know, with the you know the the sole aim of killing hippies. That was the the mantra, and they'd they'd kind of loosened up by kicking a few miners' heads in. That was the time we lived in, and of course Thatcher was at the height then, who sowed yeah. division in this country like you wouldn't believe. In fact, until probably current times, I don't think I've known this country is divided uh, since uh, until now. So it was a very very violent time, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, Mark hit the nail on the head there. It, it was, it was, it was always this sort of, uh, it was, it was hanging over. It was this sort of violent cloud hanging over. Um, you, you know, I think what, what were we sort of like eighteen, nineteen? If you weren't going out with your mates at night, you know, you you're keeping your head down, weren't you? Really, because yeah. there was always that chance you'd leave your front door, and you're going to get battered, or you'd go mob handed. That was yeah. the only way to survive. You know, you had to go yeah. mob-handed. Anyway, um, the absolute uh, antidote to all violent tendencies, as we well know, is uh, great music and, uh, you know, peace and love merchants, like the fabulous boy George from Culture Club, who features very heavily in our next match. As he wasn't playing up front for Watford, and he certainly wasn't getting around the back either. Uh, but uh, Chelsea, <laughs> Chelsea played Watford. That's uh, uh, okay. That's okay. Uh, I, I'm here all night. Don't worry. Anyway, Chelsea played Watford on the 13th of October, uh, and we actually lose. God forbid. But that wasn't the worst thing that happened that day, was it, Kel? No, Culture Club one. I've got a story actually. I've got a story about that one. I thought you might. So, <laughs> Mikey Craig, who's their bass player, I think Culture Club's bass player. His family. Until actually, until just a few months ago, lived opposite my family. So my parents live in Hammersmith and in Studden Street in Hammersmith. And Mikey Craig's parents and some of his siblings were living across the road. Um, I never ever saw him. I knew that it was his brother. His brother used to give it a big one a little bit, actually, down the street, like oh, Mikey Craig's brother. I knew his parents um, and I knew like, his, his, who his brother was, but I never ever saw Mikey Craig until this day. Now, me and my mate Steve had been round at my house and we left to go to the game. We had our colours on, like, like Mark said earlier, the, the Cox Sportive tops on. And he was sitting in his car outside their house in the driver's seat and he looked at us. He looked us up and down. And I said to my mate Steve, what's he looking at? And he's like, I don't know, I don't know. Anyway, it must have been he spotted our shirts. He didn't give us a lift. When we got into the ground, he's on the pitch. So it must have been looking at us as if to say, like, oh, they're Chelsea as well. And it turns out he is actually Chelsea. Really? I've seen him at the ground since. He still goes to games now. Mm. But um, but yeah, they were filming a video for their first song that wasn't a success. I think um, I think they made it big about three years earlier, and then there was like this string of number ones, and then they did the song called the Medal Song, um, which was what this was the video for, uh, and it had some of the youngsters in it. Like uh, in, it, uh, I think um, Robert Isaac was in it, Terry Howard, Mickey Bodley, that sort of uh, youth team. Um, those guys were in it, um, but like you say. We lost the game, but spent most of it just dishing it out to Boy George. I mean, he got some grief on the pitch. Including Mick, Mickey Thomas was giving it some as well, wasn't he? <laughs> he was, yeah. He was He was, um, He was. was winding him up on there. But I've seen a lovely picture of Mickey where he looks completely starstruck after the game with him. Yeah, totally starstruck. <laughs> not, not like Mickey to be all mouth and then actually completely different. <laughs> Um, yeah. what, I, what I was going to say, Marco, of course, this I, is... I missed it, by the way. You weren't there. No, I was there, but I missed it. I had to be explained to me that you'd been on the pitch. No. Two minutes past you'd have, you'd have been upstaging him, mate. You'd have been on the pitch taking the mic from him, wouldn't you? Be I honest. Done, but no, yeah, it was difficult. When you were, once again, when you were, when you were at the, in the East stand-upper, 
difficult to get down I again. Know, I know. You get thrown out. You know, you get frog marched. It's like being Stanford the Lion. You Indeed. get frog marched out of the ground. You know? Anyway, Marco, um, obviously a very notable occurrence that day on the pitch, of course, because uh, Culture Club's drummer, uh, the future Premier League referee, of course, John Moss. Yeah, yeah John Moss. I, actually, I, I was a bit disappointed because... <laughs> um, be, be, being a, an old new romantic, I, I quite like George. So I, <laughs> I, I was disappointed, and I, and I was telling, I was telling all my mates off for laughing at him, and <laughs> calling him, calling him rude names. In fact, in fact, in fact, in fact, I was going, I'm bisexual, I'm bisexual. <laughs> <laughs> So I sit down well, Marco. Yeah, no, no, exactly. Yeah, it's like you know me stood there with a bloke who's with an Indian lad. <laughs> <laughs> they probably and, thought and, you were and, and hang two lads <laughs> who were Jewish. So... They probably thought you were the band, mate. Well, yeah, exactly. We didn't give a shit though, to be honest. With you. I mean, it's a mystery how we got away with what we got away with. Then. Yeah. Um, you know the famous story, though, don't you, about Boy George? He tried to get hold of Joe McLaughlin. Really? He, he tried to pull Joe McLaughlin in the changing room. <laughs> um, it was like a famous sort of like um, whisper. It's a bit of a rumour. Not a careless so whisper. Asked, yeah, he was careless with his whisper. But, um, yeah, no, I was not it? Huh? That, I was just saying coincidentally. It was, 84. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, he, um, in the changing room, I don't know if it's before or after the game, um, he started stroking Joe McLaughlin's leg. I mean, obviously, we all know Joe McLaughlin was the real pretty boy, wasn't he, of the yeah, team? Yeah, um, And he started stroking his leg in there. And I, I was never quite sure whether to believe it or not, but I saw McLaughlin at one of the Chelsea Centenary dudes and I asked him about it. And he actually said he didn't know who he was. McLaughlin didn't know who Boy George was. He said he thought it was a bit odd that this guy's just sitting next to him dressed as a woman and um, starts stroking his leg and sort of patting him up. Um, so yeah, it did happen. <laughs> oh, brilliant stuff! Brilliant stuff. Did he tell stuff. what his reaction was? Did he did he tell him to get off? Or he just accept it because it was so peculiar. He, he didn't. He may well have let it happen, but he weren't telling me that, Jonathan. That's the thing. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Um, whizzing forward a bit. Um, there's a match that I want to talk about, which is uh, we played Ipswich. Jonathan mentioned Ipswich earlier on. Funnily enough, uh, now without. Uh, manager Bobby Robson because of course he's uh he's now the England manager now we beat them 2-0 but I think the thing about that was that and I only know this actually because I, I wasn't there but I only know this because when I interviewed Kerry for the Chelsea special we talked about it and he ran uh Terry Butcher ragged that day apparently and Terry Butcher was you know the centre half for England at the time and it's interesting isn't it because you know Kerry's banging the goals in for fun this season he scores two that day and he makes a monkey out of uh, out of butcher, um, and I mean England are blessed. And if you ever talk to Kerry, as I know you boys do, you know he he will very honestly tell you that you know look, you know there were a lot of very good strikers around at that time. It was really tough for him to break in, into England, which he does do. But I mean, do do you do you recall Marco many clamours for you know Kerry for England going around at the time? Yeah. Vaguely, I'll tell you what I do remember about that game though was. Uh, a, a fantastic charm that never really caught on um, for for a, a, a lad who made his debut for Chelsea that <laughs> season and, and was pretty was very misunderstood. I think in a in a John Obi Mikel um, kind of way was was Darren Wood and yeah. um, 
and the chant was Darren Wood is the white you said B.O. <laughs> <laughs> um, which, which was pretty funny then and it, and it is pretty funny now it's but yeah so Dale bit... made his debut at, um, which uh, that, that, that was the that chant was kind of the most significant thing I remember about that game actually. I mean talk, talking he of chant playing right back though wasn't he? if he's playing right back how can you be Eusebio who came up with that I don't know I don't know You know, I think the like. song was when he converted when it marked because he converted to a sort of central midfield and I think he picked oh, did he? half decent passes and suddenly got yeah. that chance talk, talk, pretty- talking of chance actually I meant to mention earlier on actually because I, I love again this is one of the things you pick I love this listening to the, the or watching the YouTube clips of all these matches and uh, I'm always keeping an ear out for the chance but one of my favourite ones was from the Everton match um, and of course, these days, when anybody north of you know Watford turns up at Stamford Bridge and they make a bit of a noise, we go you know speak fucking English. Uh, in 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 1984, it was much more simple and I think much more amusing because a chant of "You what? You what? Yeah. You what? You what? You what?" went up, and I thought, "Shit, I haven't heard that for a long time." That was really fun. I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed. Do you remember that. the kids in Grange Hill, Ziggy, the scouts? Yeah, yeah. They, when he joined Grange Hill, I remember I was watching it and he joined and like he was the only one who didn't have like the London accent and they were all singing it. All the other boys were singing it to him because they couldn't understand what he was saying. So they were all doing, you what? You, you what? what? You what? You what? You what? It's brilliant. Do we, do we remember what the... I keep hearing the um, uh, the British Airways tune, Marco. Oh. Do you remember what the, the words were? What for that were? Because, they, you know, that... It was always a player's name at the end. Yeah, but, it was about Steve Archibald. I don't think you want it repeated. Though, no, no, that was it. Well, the the the, the, um, the OK version of that one was you thought you had scored. You, you were wrong. You were that's wrong. That's right. That's yeah. it. That's yeah, it. Yeah. That's the one. You thought you'd wrong. You was you scored. You were the, wrong. The, the, other, the other sort of um, generic sort of chant that I, I used to love back then was every time in the stood in the shed. And the opposing goalkeeper is taking a a, a a goal kick, and he places the ball down, and the shedder'd go, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> <Yeah>. ah, goal <laughs> kick! <laughs> I love that. I've always loved that. I always thought that was wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, when I to update it a bit and completely go off at a tangent. I think my favourite one of those, Marco, of, of abusing goalkeepers was when we played Brentford in the FA Cup and we were all down there in the Wendy house and uh, behind the goal. And you were just down, you were you and Waltz were not far away from me at all. I remember that. And uh, poor old Ross Turnbull was in goal for us and we spent a lot of the second half going, Ross Turnbull's won the European yeah. Cup with heavy irony, of course. <laughs> And poor Ross didn't realise. He just didn't get it. He kept turning around and applauding Wait. us and saying thank you. He didn't realise we were taking the piss out of him for the whole half. I thought it was... The... Apart from all the other things about that game that I remember, I, 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 I definitely... What like? Uh, well, I, I can... Apparently, I can be heard using the C word to describe Rafa Benitez as he walked off at halftime on the YouTube clip that somebody videoed. Rightly so, Chidge. Rightly so. Yeah. Well I, I have a rather loud stentorial voice, as we all know, and I'm clearly heard. Walter Otten doing the Denver Bar song on repeat for brilliant. most of the game. Brilliant. I, I actually brilliant. got told to sit down by a steward for abusing Benitez in the east, in the middle, east and middle. 
Well, but you should have been in the terrace with us, you great big woofter. Honestly. No, so, excuse me. He he was within earshot, Chief. <laughs> True enough. He was there. He well, heard it. What you he probably what you probably don't know is that uh, uh, Steve Atkins, uh, the head of comms at Chelsea, um, hauled Tim Rolls out, who was the chairman of the Supporters Trust at the time, to try and get his, you know to try and get Tim to get everybody to stop abusing Benitez, and Tim just looked at him and laughed. <laughs> <laughs> which was the right response Steve likes him Steve likes Benitez doesn't he yeah, he's oh, got a good uh, relationship with him mate I remember I, I I mean I like Steve a lot by the way he's, he's a really yeah. he's a class act he's a decent bloke but I remember <laughs> going to some meeting and and Steve uh, trying to explain to me what a nice bloke Rafa was and he's, he's always sitting there talking tactics to everybody and you know he was, he's had his pepper pots out and, I, and I, I said I said Steve mate look you're talking to the wrong bloke here I can't stand him <laughs> you know, it was yeah. that simple anyway we digress massively how do we jump from 1984 to 2013 it's like the, <laughs> when it's like, so much more fun talking about 1984 I know who, who, who gave us that DeLorean motor car <laughs> anyway um, right right back to 1984 um, I, now I need to ask you about this game because obviously it wasn't there uh, Chelsea wallop uh, Coventry 6-2 um now, uh, you know, you might say, yeah, well, it's Coventry. But they had a... F- I mean, they, I'll just read you a few of the names out on this Coventry team. Uh, they had some decent players. Grizovic, Adams, uh, Latchford, uh, Mickey Jin, Cyril Regis. I mean, well, I used to love Cyril Regis. Great player. Yeah. So they weren't, They weren't. you know, this. they weren't a bunch of numpties at all. I mean, they had Bobby Gould as manager. So signed for us, wasn't he, the year before? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, um, who wants to talk about this? Jonathan, do you remember this game? Are you there? I was there, yeah. I just remember um, um, uh, enthusing about... Uh, was Speedo... I think Speedo was playing in that game, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. he scored in that game. He scored, didn't he? Both Kerry and he scored, scored didn't they? I mean, uh, Kerry got a hat-trick. I was going to say, Kerry got a hat-trick. Um, I, I was just... And also, I'd bemused to, to see that, that Chelsea actually had a long throw, didn't they? Which they used from time to time in this setup, Which was invariably Speedo jumping like a salmon. And which he could do and hang there and just with, despite his five foot seven and flicking the ball on. And Kerry was always terribly good at that, that kind of header into the penalty area or he'd be on the end of it and, and put the goalie under pressure. Those looping headers. He scored. He didn't just score um, uh, bullet headers or just headers that were, uh, that, he scored with weak headers that were placed. He just seemed to be, uh, he seemed to be in the right place all the time. He, he had a phenomenal season. Kerry, mm. I thought Kerry was absolutely fantastic. Well, you know, one of the things that really struck me, J.K., um, and I mean, this is borne out actually by this kind of spate of matches here. I mean, Kerry gets a hat trick there, and the next one I was going to talk about was the uh, was the, uh, the, the 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 League Cup match, which we talked about against Man City. He scores a hat trick there. You know, I can't remember, I can't remember any Chelsea striker actually. I mean. I mean, that prolific. Well, that no, who yeah. scored so many hat tricks? I mean, Lance did, but he wasn't a striker. Hasselbank had a penchant for scoring him occasionally, but Kerry, he was such a goal pick. Once he got one, he'd want to get a hat trick. He but was that kind he, of player, wasn't he? He scored from different. It wasn't that he just relied on wingers to put the ball in. He scored. Um, he, he was very good in, deep, in every area. He was absolutely excellent. Very good at running onto the ball. Ball delivered to him. Um, Speedo. I mean, I always despaired when Speedo was suspended, which was frequently because he was so combative. 
Um, and uh, it was a filthy bastard, let's be honest. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, the consequences of that was he got suspended and because, and he therefore wouldn't, he wasn't playing. And that was, in a sense, I suppose, why they bought Davis. I don't know. I've seen yeah. a very strange purchase to me because he was a very good player, Davis, but just couldn't get in the side. That's why he's, his involvement at Chelsea was brief. But the combination of, of having Speedo set, set uh, Kerry up from the uh, from midfield essentially or just from a just behind him he just seemed to play behind him so much speedo and then ghost himself into the penalty area to get delivered the ball and having pat deliver the ball expertly as well which he did so frequently you had the you were feeding Kerry's strengths all the time which were brilliant on the ground fantastic pinpoint shots and superb in the air so uh, in the end, I'm not surprised he scored so many goals just because around him, he, he, he had a, a setup that was absolutely tailor-made for his his, his uh, abilities. It was, um, it could be uh, the joyous. I found this, 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 I keep going using this word a lot because I, I love it when we play well, but the, but seeing, I mean, Nevin's crosses and Nevin's, contribu- Nevin's uh, contribution was obviously great, but I just loved Speedo setting him out, setting him out. I thought that was such a, um, a brilliant combination. It was just, uh, it was exhilarating to watch those two play together. Well, that, we... that, 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 sorry, I was just that, that Chelsea Coventry game, was it, was that the game where Coventry went 2-0 up? Yeah, they did, yeah, yeah quite yeah. early on. Because that, that, that one, being severely OCD, I always view that game, there was a game about two years later when we lost 6-2 at home to Nottingham yeah. Forest but we'd gone 2-0 up in that game. <laughs> so, like, I mean, if you're OCD, you kind of like that. You do. You love it's a stat like The mirror that. image. The mirror image of the game. Is that what it is? The yeah. symmetry only, of it. Only Chelsea. Marco, um, we can't talk about the Man City match where we absolutely mullered them, to be fair, without talking about the infamous Pat Nevin penalty. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, think, I think the thing, the thing to highlight, I think somebody mentioned it earlier, um, was uh, the, the the state of the pitches? Mm. And we were sort of heading through November, and if if I remember rightly, it absolutely leathered down all day um, in 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 West London, um, and it, and it was kind of like it used to rain in through the roof in the shed, um, and I remember. Pat taking that penalty and it was just like the funniest thing. It it is probably, I mean, I'm sure there are worse penalty compilations on YouTube and and poor Pat's penalty probably features in there, but it was probably the easiest save Alex Williams ever, ever made as a keeper. Marco, what we did, I remember watching it and when, when Pat just stood over the ball and didn't take a run up, I remember all of us I was sitting with all going, What's he doing? No, Pat, take a run up. What are you doing? No, yeah. no. And we just knew the ball would be, he'd roll it I mean, somewhere. You I mean, in fairness, I think we were winning 4-0 at the time. Anyway. We were, we were, we were. Yeah, we were. I think Drogba's, Drogba's winning penalty in Munich was actually a tribute to Pat's. It's just, it went in. That was the only <laughs> That's a very good point. Although, although Jorginho's done a few like that, but he kind of waits until the keepers dive the other way, which is the trick that Pat missed, I think. Yeah. Um, I think it's a good point, actually, a good juncture to talk about penalties, not just this season, Kelv, but uh, last season's as well. We had a real issue with penalties around this yeah. time, didn't we? I mean, I, I, you know, Speedy was taking them, Kerry was taking them, Kerry was missing them. In fact, 
Um, yeah. He misses uh, misses one against United in the three one defeat that we were mentioning earlier on about Keith Jones. Pat misses one. Who? I mean, who else took penalties for Chelsea? That Spackman. Spackman. Spackers. Yeah. yeah, he missed one against um, Shrewsbury, I think. Mm. He scored what the one against Cardiff late in that, to get the three all draw. Then he missed one against Shrewsbury, I think. Mickey took one um, against Villa, I think, but then he missed one. Nobody had a constant run. Pat Nevin missed at Grimsby, uh, having scored not long before at um, Portsmouth. Nobody could get consistent. Speedy scored one at Leicester yeah. this season, then missed against Millwall in the last minute and saved us a, another trip over to the Den. Um, yeah. There was Mad, no- isn't it? Yeah. See, I, I would have thought that, you know, Kerry should have been the main penalty taker. Although, you know, he he missed his fair share as well, which actually surprises me. Yeah, I, I, it's hard to call it, really. I don't know what goes through a player's head when they're, you know, faced with a goalkeeper from 10 yards and all those people in, in the ground. I know I'd miss one. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, Kerry, I mean, I've spoken to him about it and he said he, it never bothered him to uh, pick up the ball and, and take another one after he'd missed one. Mm. He said he was just so confident. He always saw it as an opportunity to score. But um, after the, the two against Portsmouth and then the one against Brighton in the next game, he was never consistent. I mean, it was quite surprising that when we played QPR this actual season that we're talking about on Boxing Day, um, and we got two penalties and he scored them both comfortably. And it, that actually surprised me at the time because I thought, like, maybe you'd get one. But to do two in one game when you've got a sort of slightly rocky record with them uh, at that point, it surprised me that he had the confidence to do it and, and to score them. But then, like you say, next game, I think it was the next game, Man United, he, he rolled it wide mm, to the post. He did, which was crucial at the time, actually, although we were well beaten on the day. Um, yeah. We mentioned Spackers earlier uh, about uh, sorting Graham Roberts out in the one all up at White Hart Lane, which came shortly after this, Marco. Got any memories of that? I don't really remember that game. I know we definitely went because it was an early kickoff. Um, so we've gone early. <laughs> Um, I, I don't, I don't really remember the game at all. So I'll have to hand over to my esteemed colleague Kelvin Barker to talk you through the match. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember Kerry gave us the lead in front of us lot um, after about five minutes. Mark Falco equalised, if I'm not mistaken, quite early in the second half. I think he scored in front of us as well, um, which he could never do when he was on loan to us. Um, <laughs> But, and, and the only other thing I really remember about it is John Chidozzi absolutely slaughtering Rupi from the first minute to the last. He absolutely ran him ragged. Um, and the incident where Graham Roberts was trying to bully Spackman and ended up on his on his back with Spackman with his fist cocked, actually, on top of him, ready to whack him. And, and it, it was brilliant. It was brilliant to see. Even now, I'd love to see someone give it to Roberts. I don't, I don't even care that he played for Chelsea subsequently. He was a bully. And it was good to see Spackman turn the tables on him. He got shot that day. But, I mean, like, Kerry then, he's gone back to Spurs. He scored at his old place. He was scoring left, right and centre. And like you say, there was a bit of a clamour for him to get in the England team. And Kerry always lists all of those good strikers that were around at the same time when you talk to him. You know, he'll give you, like, the Haitley, Mariner, Clive Allen, Brian Steen and various ones. The one he doesn't mention is Peter Wyth. Now, around this time, November 84, England had an away qualifier, um, World Cup qualifier in Turkey. And that was the game where people thought that Kerry was going to get picked. Um, 
Bobby Robson picked Peter Wyff for that one instead. And England won 8-0. But Peter Wyff played centre-forward and didn't score. Now, it makes you wonder what the score would have been if he'd have made the right decision and picked Kerry Dixon for that game. At least 9-0. Was, was, <laughs> was the other one, um, the other striker around at the time, was it, wasn't it Hately? Hately. Yeah. yeah. Woodcock. Mariner. He picked Mariner as well, didn't he? Yeah, and we had Woodcock. Uh, I don't know if Lineker had broken through yet. I think it was the season after, maybe. He was still at Leicester at this mm. time. Um, yeah. But uh, who else? Do- uh, um, Luther Blissett, of course. Yeah, Blissett. Because yeah. he scored a hat-trick oh, against yeah. Luxembourg, didn't he, on his debut? Yeah, 9-0, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I remember talking... I like Luther, actually. I did a radio show with him last year where I presented and he kind of co-presented. Absolutely lovely guy. He had me in stitches the whole four hours. I mean, I was winding him up the whole four hours, of course, because you know what I'm Mm. like. But he's an absolute... And I was ribbing him about that. I said, oh, you know, man, you scored a hat-trick on your debut for England, didn't you? It was brilliant. Mind you, it was Luxembourg, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) He was was fair play to him. He took it, actually, which is really good. Um, Jonathan... um, I, I mean, even though it, there are no YouTube clips of it that I could find, and in many respects it, it doesn't form a huge part in our story this season, there's no way I'm looking past the fact that Chelsea beat Liverpool 3-1 on the 1st of December. We yes. always have to talk about beating Liverpool under any circumstances. I presume you were there. Yes, yes. Can you tell oh. me much about it? No, not at all. Oh, for no. God's sake. Don't yes, disappoint um, me. I remember, I remember at the moment. I remember it went off in the like Chelsea had to go in the on the north stand where where all the Liverpool fans were when um, when Kerry scored there were there was a gap opened up um, in there because we were Chelsea in there which was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant! Is this the Gate Thirteen mob? I don't, no, no, I don't, I don't know. I, no, it was kind of like. All I remember was Kerry scored and we were all went from singing one Kerry Dixon to North Stand, North Stand, do your job. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, for the Joe record... Sorry, mate, go on, go on. Sorry, Joe McLaughlin scored his first goal for Chelsea in that game. Yeah. Dixon and Speedy scored the others. And uh, yeah. Jan Mulby, the fattest man ever to play football other than Fatty Falks, uh, scored on 20, 28 minutes. Scored uh, a cracking goal, to be fair. Yeah. He's a really good goal as well. As usual, they were good a player. decent side, weren't they, Liverpool? I think what they European won the champions. Yeah, the front from the year before, yeah. We so, always beat them when they're we, European we, champions. We, That's we the did, great yeah. thing. We, we had the sign over them, didn't we? That was always yeah. I don't know who I was talking to. It might have even been you, Kelvin, uh, in the last show about the fact that, that, that Liverpool fans really didn't like playing Chelsea because they felt they felt that, that we were a real bogey side for them. Was it you I was talking to about that? I don't, don't think it was me, but yeah, I definitely get that. Though. I mean, like from 78, twice, wasn't it, in the 77-78 season? Even when we were really bad and got relegated in 78-79, we managed to nick a draw off them. Um, and like 82 we were mid-table Division 2 and knocked them out uh, out of the cup uh, then this one yeah like we, we definitely did have some sort of sign over them not, obviously not at their place but uh, the bridge we did mm, definitely what now about? sorry Marco no I was just going to say like the rivalry with Liverpool then was um, it, it, it had a different slant to it I mean this was like <clears throat> this was sort of predated all the um the, the, the sort of chance that people are aware, more aware of in in the modern era, kind of the 
it was all regional stuff and you know sign on you'll never get a job and all that kind of stuff um and it was you know it was a real sort of antipathy towards the, the, the it was like the scousers and the cockneys um rather than all you know the the rent boy stuff and the hillsborough and hazel stuff that 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 came later it was like a proper rivalry um so um, both teams are singing you'll never walk alone of course yeah yeah when was the uh, in your liverpool slum song when did that turn up oh, that was, i think that was in the 60s that was the 60s one was it yeah oh, you know you know what you can tell it was because there are about eight verses and by the 80s our attention span had already reduced there's no way we'd come up with a song that was eight verses wasn't it um wasn't it the spinners uh who had a hit with it well was in it? your liverpool slums no no it was called in your liverpool homes oh right um, easy mistake to make yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i don't know whenever basically whenever that song was released um that was the time that opposing supporters started singing in your Liverpool slums. Well, anyway, talking of Scousers, uh, and uh, Kelvin and I were talking about this before we went on, we went on air because I, I foolishly sent them the wrong YouTube clip. I sent them the YouTube clip of Everton versus Chelsea in 1985-86. <clears throat> Slight scoreboard error, and Kelvin was very disappointed because arguably, uh, arguably one of Chelsea's best games of the season came on the 22nd of December when we went up to Goodison Park and we beat uh, champions-elect Everton 4-3, Kelvin. Yeah, but I didn't go to the game, which is why I was so disappointed. I've never seen the goals because it wasn't filmed. So um, it's it's one of those that I really regret not going to. I've no idea why I didn't go. There would have been a reason, almost certainly financial. It was the last Saturday before Christmas. Um, and... It was it was a fantastic result because they were champions elect. Um, I believe they hadn't been beaten at home at that point throughout the season. I think it was the only time they got beaten away. Uh, at was home. it? Yeah. yeah. Right. But yeah, I mean they were a cracking team. Gordon Davis obviously had his finest hour in the Chelsea shirt. He got the hat trick. Colin Pate scored one. Um, and I do have a little snippet of information that um, after the game. Andy Gray got a bit mouthy to Mickey Thomas and and got a headbutt for the for his trouble in the tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we want. <laughs> no yes. doubt you got that from the horse's mouth, mate. It, it, absolutely, yeah. It, it had um, one of Andy Gray's teeth embedded in his head when he was telling me. Blimey, not a pretty sight. Uh, but you're right about Gordon Davis. It's interesting, you know, he'd made his debut for us a couple of matches before against uh, the loathsome Sheffield Wednesday, uh, where he scored as well, interestingly enough. Um, in fact, scored the only... Benefiting from, from Speedo being being suspended in this particular instance. Well, indeed. Yeah. Uh, but he did. He scored a hat-trick against Everton that day. Marco, were you there? No, I didn't go to that one. So that's two, two, that's, we're, we're, we're 0 for 2 at the moment. Jonathan? No, okay, not. we're 0 for 3. We were all out Christmas shopping together. Yeah, I, I reckon you're all under the thumb. That's the trouble, you know, with your young ladies. I don't know. What can I say? I was reffing a lot during this season. I can tell you that on Saturday, the 22nd of December 1984, I was either seeing Killing Joke or Spear of Destiny at uh, the Hammersmith Palais. So there you go. Just up the way from me here. We we should do an alternative version of 50 Years of Chelsea, 50 Years of of Chidgett gigs rather than being at the football. 
you know because i can remember i can remember gigs i've seen like like you lot can remember football matches which is really rather worrying but there you go we shall move on uh no we won't move on quite yet because uh i can't deny kelvin the chance of talking about chelsea playing qpr on their plastic pitch i don't remember much about it to be honest that game other than the fact that kerry scored um two penalties yeah we got a two-all draw Gordon Davis was up front still. I remember he played that game. Speedy must have... Actually, I think Speedy was on the bench. I think he might have um, been back from suspension, but might have been our sub that day. Um, he was. He was. He came on for Pat. came on for Pat Nevin, 67 minutes. Right. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember much um, about it other than the, the fact that Kerry scored the two penalties and, and we got a draw, which was unusual because we used to beat them left, right and centre on their, on their pitch. We don't always remember the... I just remember the ball bouncing really high all the time. Yeah. That was my major memory of watching those games on the plastic pitch. Awful, actually. I'm surprised we did so well. I don't know how it ever got allowed. It's just absolutely ridiculous to play on a completely alien surface to anything you'd play on for the rest of the we year. We used to bunk off school, Jonathan. I was from Shepherd's Bush, so I went to school um, in Shepherd's Bush, and we used to bunk off and play on the plastic pitch right next to their stadium. Um, yeah. And I think it was the same sort of pitch. It was ridiculous how the ball used to bounce when we were ticking about on it. I used to ref, um, f I lived in uh, North London at the time, and uh, it was uh, Caledonian Road, I think it was near, but Caledonian Road had a couple of plastic pitches. And similarly, it was just an absolute lottery. Ball just mm. You could actually, the number of goals scored by goalkeepers kicking the ball down the <laughs> other end, you know, it would just bounce yeah. over everybody's head and end up in the corner. But I earned uh, a tenner a time. And I used to do, um, uh, and I wasn't acting much, I used to do... Uh, five a week earn 50 quid so right, take the girlfriend out for a for a decent meal and then she chucked me because she said she didn't want to go out with a referee she said she thought she was going out with an actor she said <laughs> i i don't think so i think she actually said the referee's a wanker <laughs> and he probably was soon and afterwards he probably was at the time yes. <laughs> <laughs> bottom tush um, right, uh, just to wrap, but by God, I've just seen something absolutely bizarre. That the referee in the QPR Chelsea match is a guy called John E. Martin, Martin, who is from Four Marks. Four Marks is literally just up the road. It's a little village up the road from where I grew up in Allsford. Absolutely bizarre. Oh, um, anyway, I should just wrap this uh, this kind of year up, really, because you know, we, by by drawing at QPR, we slipped down to eighth. We'd been as high as sixth so far. Uh, we then dropped to 11th after losing, you know, outplayed really by a decent United side uh, on the 29th of uh, of uh, December. But just a quick round robbing, guys. We've had half the season, basically. Chelsea have been up to six. How are you feeling at this stage, Marco? Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it was kind of up and down. I think you just kind of took the, um, you know, the, the, the result beating Liverpool 3-1. Um, was kind of massive and kind of underlined. Yeah, we, we we're here and we're in the big time. And then, you know, the fact that we were kind of progressing nicely in the League Cup that was good. Um, I, I actually, I actually kind of thought, oh, we might be going to Wembley. Um, you know, I think I think we kind of drew Wigan in the cup in the third round of the cup. Um, so I, I kind of had a good feeling that I thought we were going to do well in the cups. Uh, the league, I didn't, I didn't. We we just seemed a little in. There was inconsistency there. I mean, obviously we won that game at Everton, um, but it was kind of same old Chelsea. 
that the, the you know the, the kind of season that we've had this season with some weird results um, mixed in there. But yeah, no, overall it was positive. Um, yeah, we we were all really enjoying it. JK, uh, I I just loved watching um, Kerry and Nevin and uh, Spackman and um, and Speedo. I was always disappointed when Speedo didn't play as a consequence because I knew that somehow it wouldn't quite be the same performance. But um, uh, I thought he was great. I, th I really was a great David Speedy fan. I thought he was fantastic. Mm. Um, uh, but yeah, no, I, I I enjoyed every game just because I thought we'd we'd score a couple every game, and just because they were so potent and they were so fluid up front, I really loved it. And as I say, I really thought Spackman was was a brilliant uh, brilliant midfield player, yeah, and were... Mickey Thomas was just one of my favourite players. So all in all. I was very pleased. I think I was a bit dubious about them defensively, but you know, when we're we, you know, it's a slight rerun of of this season. Well, you know? I was going to say it's an, interesting, isn't it? Because we were a really good attacking side, but we we always looked a bit vulnerable at the back. Although here, here's the thing, Kelvin, I, I will ask you, you know, where, where you think what you think about where we are so far. Um, but as a general thing, one of the other things that I, I, I gleaned from the YouTube clips is what a bloody good keeper Eddie Nizvecki. Easy for me to say, Nizhevsky is was in fact because he. I mean, the Leicester game particularly, he made some absolutely quality saves, and I don't know. Maybe it's because my mind is sharpened by the fact that we've got you know a goalkeeper with short arms and smoke hands at the moment. But you know, Eddie was a cracking goalkeeper, wasn't he? Yeah, Eddie brought some sort of um, confidence to the back four after Steve Francis fell slightly by the wayside and um, Bob Isles had come in at the end of that 82-83 season and, and I think JK made the point um, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about uh, the 83-84 uh, season that he made he, he came in and it was like a different defence because he organised and he was vocal and he was a very good solid goalkeeper um, and then of course he Fortunately, he didn't get injured for that sort of couple of years. So he was uh, almost an ever-present. I think Steve Francis might have had one game later this season that we're talking about. But but Eddie had that position nailed down and he actually got better. I think his best season was, was the one that you'll be talking about next time. Yeah. Um, and I think he got player of the year despite having his injury from March onwards. Um, but it's a different season. But the season that you'll do next time, I still think we'd have had a very good chance of winning the league if he hadn't got injured. He was that good. Well, it's very interesting. I, I asked a lot. I mean, you know, Bummers, Patesy, Kerry, Canners. I asked them all, particularly Bummers and Patesy, if if they thought we should have won the title or been in a shout for it that year. And actually, you'll be surprised by what they had to say, but I will reveal that next week. Uh, okay, I won't. They none of None of them thought that they really were good enough, which was interesting, particularly Bummers. Mm. Yeah, but anyway, we digress. Um... Yeah, I was going to ask you what you thought of where we were, actually, talking of title runs. I mean, you know, you, were you quite happy with where we were? Do you know what? I was absolutely loving it. Yeah. I was so happy. Um, I mean, like, I love Chelsea more than I even loved myself back then. I really loved myself when I was, like, 18, 19. I really didn't did. we like, all, I Chelsea even more. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know me then, Chief. I know the, I know the type, mate. <laughs> but, no, I was. I, was, um, I, was, I loved it. I, I, I thought that, that whole year, 1984 was just a sensational time in my life as a football supporter, as a Chelsea supporter. And and I was very much like Mark uh, said about the um, the League Cup. 
I was very confident it was opening up for us actually. And um, we already had the draw um, before Christmas that early in January, I think we were supposed to be playing Sheffield Wednesday at home in the quarterfinal. Um, and I really was confident that we were going to go to Wembley in that in that competition. Um, yeah, I was, I, was, I was really enjoying it. It was great. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Cheech. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Cheech, I'd be bereft. Inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match... And they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Uh, But yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month. And you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK. And best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Well, let's let's get on to that, actually, because, I mean, you know, it's it's gone down, I think, as one of the most famous... Uh, well, it's a trilogy of matches, of course, isn't it? The uh, the uh, the League Cup matches against Sheffield Wednesday. <clears throat> I mean, we're going to hear about about Canners on the most famous one, which of course is the four uh, four. But it started off, of course, two legged affairs in those days, the Milk Cup, and uh, we played uh, Sheffield Wednesday on the twenty eighth of January on a Monday at half seven. Um, and I think this is because the other thing, the, the bit of context in here is that um, it was a ter- ter- yeah, terrible weather, wasn't it, Marco? We, we, do you know what? We, didn't, we went to the Wigan Athletic replay um, that eventually got played, which was played on the Saturday before the, yeah. the game on the Monday, and we got stuck in Wigan and didn't get back to London. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean that 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 game at Wigan was mental. I know I know you want to talk about that's all right. No, no, you go go for it, mate. No, no, but like the the, the away end at Wigan was was a was a grassy bank. There was no terracing, and there was like a shed at the top. And and Kerry Kerry scored four goals. It was mental. Um, but yeah, I mean we 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 got stuck there. We we got uh, the the car. I don't know, there was something wrong with Vic's car and we kind of got stuck um, and we didn't get back. We didn't get back. Uh, we couldn't go to the game, the first Sheffield Wednesday game, which was on 
on the Monday. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, they had to play a lot of games in a very short space of time. I remember us talking about this a few weeks back in a completely different context, funnily enough. But we, we as Marco said, we beat Wigan 5-0 in the Cup, which was a replay. Uh, and then we played two days later, we played Sheffield Wednesday at home. Uh, and we get a draw. Guess what? Kerry misses a penalty. Uh, Speedy uh, basically uh, equalises. They scored first with Madden uh, on 18 minutes. Speedy equalised on 29. I mean, Sheffield Wednesday, let's put Sheffield Wednesday into a bit of context here, Kelv. I mean, we we had really begun a bit of a rival with, with rivalry with them uh, really the season before when we, when really they were in the box seat to win the title, Division 2 title. And we kind of pipped them at the post, didn't we? They were managed by the odious Howard Wilkinson, who for some ungodnown reason ended up managing England for thankfully only a game, I think it was. And of course he managed dirty leads and won them the title. But he was the Sheffield Wednesday manager and he had a a team of horrible players. Uh, Mel Sterland, Peter Shirtlifter, sorry, Shirtlift, uh, Worthington, Marwood, Verardi, Lee Chapman. I mean, they were horrible, weren't they? But particularly Shirtlift and Sterling. Yeah, vile. I, I despise both of them, to be honest. I, I think um, Brian Marwood was the, the one footballer in amongst yeah. their team. Um, in, in fact, I suppose it wasn't dissimilar to the old 1970s Chelsea-Leeds rivalry. You had a team of Dower Yorkshiremen who boot yeah, you yeah, up there, yeah. asked for it, you know, rather than get the ball. And then you had this exciting team that they saw as Southern Softies. But actually, as we know, half the team were Northerners anyway, or there was a bit of Northern grit in there, you know, um, and a few few um, Scottish players and, and what have you. So we weren't going to be bullied by them. But, but yeah, that rivalry started the year before. Um, and I guess it probably reached its peak, really, with that trilogy of games. It wasn't actually it was, a two-legged no, affair. It wasn't. You're right. You're right. It was one leg, wasn't it? Because the, the next yeah. one on the... the bizarrely so let's just again put it in context Saturday we beat Wigan in the FA Cup Marco gets stuck up in the frozen north on a grassy bank or a grassy knoll I'm not quite sure which Monday we play Sheffield Wednesday in the Milk Cup we draw one all so we have to replay we replay it on the Wednesday evening two days later yeah because when the game finished on the Monday when the whistle blew we all had to dash out as quickly as we could to queue up to get tickets for the Wednesday night blimey that was that was that was how it was back. No tinternet. Yeah, no tinternet. No, <laughs> I was actually supposed to be playing football for my work team in a regional cup game on the Wednesday. I had to <laughs> had to make a choice. Did I go to Hillsborough? <laughs> Did I play in this cup game? And I was really sort of like torn between the two, but I made the right decision in the end. I went to Hillsborough. Brilliant. Um, and your book, you lot, your team lost eight two, didn't you? Eight say? two. Yeah, yeah, made the right you, choice. It would have been eight 0 if I'd have been there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, 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 you were there, Jonathan, weren't you, up at uh, Hillsborough? No, I wasn't. You I were. was at the home game. You I were didn't at the away game. game. Marco, I know you were at the the uh, at Hillsborough. I mean, it, it, it's gone down, hasn't it? In legend, uh, you know, we we were three nil down, weren't we, at half time? How how would we been playing? The, the most amusing thing about this is we, we didn't get in the ground. We were 2 0 down um, when, when we got in. We, we'd run out of petrol, and the weird thing is we got lost as well um, and, and ended up weirdly <laughs> in, in this place called 
world. There is a town called Worrell, which is a suburb of Sheffield, um, which was weird. Uh, so, yeah. Um, so got your family time, there? No family there? Is it going back too far, do you reckon? I have no you idea. You were named after that? that no uh, idea. That I have no idea. Weirdly, um, weirdly, one of... Um, one of my girlfriend's sisters is with a fella from Sheffield. Um, so when we went up, we went up there when Misty was first born and went to stay with them. And I, and I said, I'm just taking Misty to, to, to take a photograph with her of the stood by the sign, which says Worrell. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, brilliant. So you, you, yeah, it was kind of like got in and so it was like, should we just go home now? <laughs> I bet you're glad you didn't. Um, exactly. So as we were saying, Kel, we're, we're three nil down at half time. Uh, Lions gets one on nine minutes. Chapman on twenty two. Marbled on forty five. Um, and then something quite remarkable happens in the second half, doesn't it? Yeah, um, so Canneville came on at half-time. I think Colin Lee had taken a kick right at the end of the first half. Yeah. So Canners replaced him. Dow Jasper dropped back from midfield into centre-half. And, um, yeah, it was amazing that second half. I mean, within 11 seconds, Canners had uh, pulled one back. Um, then I think about 20 minutes later, Kerry made it 3-2. Um then Mickey scored the game, the goal of the game. Wonderful, um, goal. Wonderful goal. Fantastic, wasn't it? I mean, Pat Nevin's role in it as well was super. Yeah, yeah. But the great thing, what I loved about Mickey's goal was he scored it. He put it in the top corner in front of the massive Hillsborough cop. He turned, started darting down the pitch to, to go and celebrate the goal with the away fans. But halfway along, realised he hadn't gestured to Howard Wilkinson yet. So he turned to the, to the left and gave Wilkinson a bit of a gesture first. And then kept running towards us. They had a bit of history, of, didn't they, those two? Yeah, until Wilkinson signed him. Yeah, yeah. That was the funny thing, wasn't it? Wilkinson bitched about him when he scored the two goals on his debut when we beat him 3-2 and said, oh, he'll do it for as long as he can be bothered and then he'll let the manager down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then he signed him for Leeds briefly. Nice one. But of nice course, one. that was the night that Mickey knocked um, Andy Blair Spark out as well. You know, in front of the Leppings Lane when we were 2-0 down, I think it was. There, there was a corner... Um, towards the end of the first half. And um, funny thing is, all of us could see what was going on. We could see all the mouthing off going on between yes, the players. Yes. And um, then suddenly um, Mickey knocks him out, knocks him flat out with a left hook. The whole end is cheering. Like Mickey's going shh to, to the end because the ref hasn't seen it. <laughs> We're all singing his name. Um, but the ref and the linesman didn't see it. So they, like the Sheffield Wednesday players are going absolutely berserk, but he got away with it. Brilliant. Of course, the equaliser. I was, I'm always bemused by that. How officials fail miserably to see anything that the whole of the ground has seen. It's all. Yeah. It was like the. Um, it was like Alan Hudson's goal against Ipswich that hit the stanchion and, and came out. You know, we and there's kind of a bemused chuckle from everybody in the crowd. Just going, what on earth? And the referee is doesn't even bother to consult these linesmen who don't even bother to come over and tell him. And so that, uh, it just, you just think. How have they managed to miss all of you this? You know, 
why didn't they just ask somebody? I, I swear that the player. I mean, you know, I, I, I've talked to Mickey about this. He's he's told that story on the fancast years ago when he came on. I think you were you were with him actually, Kel, that that night yeah. in, in Putney Station. But I, I I can't remember whether we asked him this or not. But I swear, players they look to see where the referee's looking before they do that. He. Um... From what he's told me about it, he said to Spackman, you watch the linesman. It might be Spackman, it might be Joey Jones, because Joey played. So, but he said to one of them, you watch the linesman, um, I'm going to chin him. And so he, I think he kept an eye on the ref. Spackman kept an eye on the linesman down at that end. And then when the time was right, he put him out. He must have been go. coordinated. He must have said, now, Mickey, now. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. It's, yeah. it's teamwork, chaps. It's teamwork. It's just it what is. we want to see. So... It's now three all, uh, and uh, there's about fourteen minutes left to play, and then Canners. I mean, this is, and we'll hear about this from Canners in a minute. Who, who, you know, it, this is, this is Canners' finest hour in a Chelsea shirt, and then some. And uh, you know, he, as as we know, he 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 came on as a sub. He didn't even think he was going to play. He's got a really funny story about that that you'll hear in a minute. But on eighty five minutes, Canners makes it four three, Kel. Yeah, Pat Nevin did an, uh, another one of his runs. He went from left into the into the centre, skipped past a couple of players, played a ball in for Kerry to run onto. Kerry cut it back, and then Canners knocked it in under the keeper. Um, did that mad charge to the um, to the dugout, which was like an iconic picture of him yeah. in, in my head. And um, at that point, I mean, we were just I, I couldn't talk for two days after that game. I literally lost my voice for two days. We were just going ballistic, um, but obviously. Dougie decided we had to have the thrills of a third game, um, <laughs> but it was that moment was just sensational. Going four three up. Yeah, going back to that game, it was a case of um, rooming up. I think me and Keith Jones, and I remember we had a light training um, on the day, and then had something to eat lunch, and it was that the rest was just having a rest. Well, in the hotel until the game, to the time for the game. So um, with that. I felt heavy after having that lunch. I don't know what it was I ate, but I felt heavy and I was saying, boy, I'm, I'm glad if I am sub because I don't think I can start with this. So what, what happened to the chicken and beans? Well, you've given a lunch now, so you're obviously thinking that hours ahead. Right. Don't get me wrong, because it's 7 o'clock, we're talking a kick-off, wasn't yeah, it? Something. Yeah, of course. So lunch was like 12, so you know what I mean? But trust me, it was... I felt heavy still. By the time we got up about 4.30 and to make our way down, I still felt heavy. So I, I can't remember why it, but um, I was kind of glad yet of starting off a sub. But um, What did you think when we were getting... I mean, you know, just to remind people, Mick Lyons scored on nine minutes. Lee Chapman, of course, Chapman he was, was playing, there, yeah. yeah. He scored on 22, and Brian Marwood uh, put him 3-0 up on 45 minutes. Not bad goal, neither. Yeah. He hit that, look at 30 yard. But... um. To me, looking at that, obviously, just thought, nah, 3-0 away. <laughs> Sheffield Wednesday, nah, that's 3-0. We're out of this competition. That's all I saw. Yeah, yeah. Sitting down in the dugout, um, receiving sweets from one of the Sheffield Wednesday found a young woman, <laughs> and telling me, don't, 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 don't be bothered, don't be, you'll be all right. They'll be next time. They'll be next time. <laughs> and, you know, me and Keith looking at it and thinking, yeah, we're gone. We're finished here. Um, that, Nobody, nobody would have thought, nobody would have disguised that, what would have happened in the second half. Um, as you said, we changed. I came off. What did, what did John Neal say at half-time Nothing. in the half-time he talk? He just said, I'm going to bring you on, Paul. Lee, I think you've got an injury. You're on left, and that was it. 
No instructions. There was no instructions. Not to play. What was the mood of the team at half time? You know what? They were just we were still the same. I don't know what it was. Nobody said about or slump or glum because mm. we're three 0 down. We were still the same. And I think automatically, um, with me now starting a kick, second half, and it was just instinct for following that ball. And that ball came over, lobbed from, when I say lobbed, from Joe Jones. And I thought, is it carry that head at first, then speedy? Mm. I just continued to follow where that ball was going. And I got in front of Jay, you saw call it, is it, was it Evans? Was it the boy at the back? Who was the boy you just mentioned? He Sterling. First, no, not Sterling. Sent him off. He scored the first goal. Oh, for them. But, oh, oh, yeah, Mick Lyons. Mick Lyons. I got in front of him. Yeah, yeah. And I hit it first time. Left went to the right hand, of the, yeah, side of the keeper. And that was 11 seconds. And after that, we were just, you know what, get that ball. Let's go. Um, unbelievably, the way we were playing, every attack we could have scored. Yeah. And it was, I think, the next came from Mickey Thomas. Or was it No, Kerry, Kerry got the Kerry next. Got... Yeah, Kerry got so the next. You, you scored after 11 seconds, then Kerry got one on 64 minutes. Oh, so look how long that was then. Then Mickey Thomas got the third. He did. And the boy, because don't get me wrong, with Pat, Pat had an influence in that game. He played Pat well, didn't he? Picked out that ball from his own half and dribbled it. And I know where Pat was putting it, and I went to the right-hand side. Initially, that ball was meant for me. But Kerry come across... Mm. And when he come across, it was a case of, you know what, then I need to go across, which was towards the box, and more or less try to drag away the players. But it was for Kerry who dragged away the players, and there I was empty, and I was balling out for Kerry, because Kerry's a person in front of goal, Kerry don't like to pass. So um, you <laughs> no, can imagine really? how much I was, I was cussing, I was calling him all kind of names. And he, I don't know if you heard, but he, he passed this ball. And I was clear in front of this keeper and like, I put it through his legs and you can imagine how I felt because it was like, this this could be the winner point. Mm. I was, come on, man. We've just come back. And I put this thing, so I remember it distinctly because I put up my fist and it wasn't indicating anything mm. of a celebration that I was running. Now, usually you celebrate with your... Um, um, the one who... Um, Supplies you mm, mm. more or less if it's a goal, you know what I mean. The one that supplies you that, but Kerry Constable and I avoided Kerry, and I mean, I did. He come up with an arm and I avoided Kerry, went past him. <laughs> but initially, not to ignore him, it was to go straight to the dugout and look for that woman again with the sweet, sweet, yeah. And I said, Da, Jonah, where's she? She kind of, when she scored that goal, she just went, mate. She wasn't <laughs> so she left? She left, literally. <laughs> but, yeah, it was like, everybody, I've noticed how they took this picture with me when I fist up in mm. the air, like, indicating it was like a power, you know what I mean? It was like, nah, that was like, my head was on, like, kind of, that could be the Well, mate, we were 3-0 down. And, and you've just scored the fourth oh, to mate. make it 4-3. I mean, the famous song, 3-0 down, 4-3 out. We all know. We all know what, what came back. next. Yeah, what, what <laughs> come back? Don't get me wrong, but obviously, um, uh, it ended up four all, and something that yeah, most Sterling came with his penalty taken after it, Doug. Was it a pen? It, don't get me wrong. It was a penalty. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Um, Dougie's face he, though when he gave Dougie, it away. He knew. Dougie didn't have to touch him. If he just kept his foot 
Um, there was enough people that was covering yeah. at the back. Yeah. Where Mel had to put it, we would have covered that. Yeah. Um, and you finish it, which, as Mel does, and um, for all, um, I think I could have. I've gone back and I could have, after extra time, I think it's really give me a ball, and I could have finished it. That would have been dynamic for yeah, me to finish yeah, that yeah. ball. That little hat trick in the second half, it would have been not well to you. Um, but it ended up for all. Um, and then we had, again. Yeah. Well, I mean, the question is this. I mean, I mean, you know, if, if somebody hasn't seen this game, it's on YouTube. Go, go and check it out. It is bonkers. And I think actually it made all the better for uh, Barry Davies' just brilliantly excitable commentary. I mean, he, he clearly loved every minute of it as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, Mel Sterling, I think it was Mel Sterling that Dougie brings down, doesn't he? But, you know, yeah. he goes into the penalty area. He just needs to be shepherded out, but Dougie can't resist well, it. Thomas is standing there as well. Yeah. yeah. Could easily have just have intercepted, intercepted the ball. There. But anyway, Dougie takes him out. It's just the clearest penalty you will ever see. Uh, and, of course, Mel Sterling himself, ugly player in every sense of the word, Mel Sterling. And... Yeah. Uh, he he puts the penalty home, I believe. Uh, yes, yeah. he does on ninety minutes, um, and we go into extra time. He wasn't a bad player, though, Chidge. He wasn't a bad player, Sterling. I don't really I care. <laughs> he was ugly in every way. Yeah, but um, he was still a decent player. Let's let's give him credit. He was a decent well, no, player. No, I don't play for England. It's my show. I don't have to give anybody credit, That's mate. True, absolutely. Okay. Um, Marco, uh, what I want to know from you is basically. How long did it take for the wonderful and infamous uh, Doug Rugby chant to start? I, I don't actually remember it that night. It didn't happen that night, then. I don't think it, I don't remember it that night. What I remember it in between, in between Canner's scoring and Doug giving that penalty away. Um, we we were like you used to do a lot quite you used to watch the crowd as much as you watch what was going on on the pitch. Well, you'd have to, wouldn't you? Yeah, we saw we saw we we thought right they're 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 like they're lot. We saw like like their end, which was like a bloody big end. Um, their cop. Yeah, sort of, sort of empty a bit. We thought they're going to come round um, and and come in our end and, and have a go now. And so we were kind of like watching all that going on. And then obviously when um, when they equalised, it was kind of like, right, it's, it's properly going to go off now. Um, and, I, you know, I don't kind of remember anything about, you know, the, the Ruby song until um, the, like the, the next couple of games. Um, and I, I think what I do remember, I remember... I remember going to a do, this was about 10 years ago. Um, Canners organised it and he had Pat Nevin there and he managed to get Doug Rupey down from Scotland. So everybody was excited because no, nobody had, I don't think anybody had seen Doug Rupey since he left uh, Chelsea. I mean, he, he was never uh, involved in any of these, um, you know, players get togethers because uh, he was living back up in Scotland. And when he walked in, we all everybody started singing, you know, <laughs> three down, four, three up. Big Doug Ruby fucked it up. He went, <laughs> he went mad. <laughs> and he said, well, what's up? I don't like that song. Don't like it. I don't like being reminded of those days. 
<laughs> no way. Seriously, he had the yeah, hump. Yeah, no, he wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't happy about it. No. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, 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 def- I do not remember that song being sung for a while after. Um, might have been. Might have been when we got to play them in the replay um, back at the bridge. I've got a feeling, Mark, that it was sung on the special. Um, on the Chelsea special game yeah. going back. I was on Oh, it and, maybe, yeah. Yeah. Nick Brown me. would probably know. Nick was on the special. I remember being on it with him. He'd probably know for sure. But I've got a feeling it was, it was, that's where it came from. Yeah, maybe. That would make sense, actually. And I think the Chelsea specials is a good place to, to pick this up from. I mean, just for, uh, you know, the record. We, uh, well, actually, it's a mad sequence of games. I mean, we then go up to Leicester and we draw one all. Speedy gets the the, uh, the penalty, as we were talking about earlier on. We then have Millwall in the FA Cup, uh, where we, we lose 3-2 uh, to them, thanks to Speedy missing a penalty in the 88th minute, Kelv. Um, yeah. George Graham, manager of Millwall, fancy that. Um, John Fashionu up front for him. John Fashionu up front. He scores, in fact. Um, let's yeah. skate over that. No doubt there was a bit of ag there. Um, yeah. Then we've got Sheffield Wednesday. And, and again, you know, this is, you know, so Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, Monday, Wednesday, sequence of games. And this uh, this next one uh, is the Sheffield Wednesday replay, which we get to play at home thanks to Ken Bates choosing the right call on a toss of the coin. Um, but this was an eventful match as well. Um, you know, uh, they went ahead with Shelton on 12 minutes and then Speedy equalised on 30 and then Mickey Thomas uh, gets the winner. I think that's right. I could be wrong, Kelv. It was a header, wasn't it? Yeah, a header in the last minute. Yeah. In the corner, Hannaville swung in. Yeah. Uh, the the equaliser was actually my favourite Chelsea goal. I love that goal so much. When Pat Nevin flicks it over the wall and runs onto it and hooks it back with his left foot and Speedy just dives in at the far post. Actually just beats Mickey to it. Um, that, I love that goal. But yeah, there was it was a tough old game, you know. There was a couple of... Um, if you if you ever see the highlights of it, there's, there's two occasions where there's this mad scramble um, in front of our goal. Um, both like sort of in like the six-yard box. And on both occasions, Joey is laying on the ball and they're just kicking lumps out of him, but he's just protecting the ball. You know, um, it was a tough... He could have gone either way. And then, yeah, we got that last-minute corner. John Neal um, never saw the goal because he was getting things ready for, for extra time. He was in the tunnel preparing for extra time. And um, as Mickey heads it in, that lovely Peter Shirtliff kicks um, Pat Nevin. Pat's re- sort of like wheeling away to celebrate and being the big, brave boy he is, Shirtliff looks at the smallest man on the pitch and gives him a kick, which probably summed up that team. But, you know, that was what made it all the sweeter beating them. Because, again, this Chelsea team couldn't be bullied by those sorts of guys. Well, I'll tell you what, what, what I remember about that game. <coughs> we, we, for midweek games, I don't, I don't know why we used to do it for midweek games, but we always used to transfer to the benches. Yeah. Um, and we were in the benches for that. And when... when um, uh, well, I mean, it was just like the celebrations. It was like we, we won the cup. Um, it was extraordinary uh, when we, when um, when we won. But it was just a, it was like it was the benches. It was just like a really concentrated um, channel of sort of seething humanity when when yeah. something happened. 
um, good or bad. And it, it was sort of bad a few weeks later when we played Sunderland. But, um, but yeah, no, yeah, it was extraordinary atmosphere that night. And sort of being in the, being on the benches was, um, yeah, pretty, pretty it's, lively. It's, it's interesting what you're saying, actually, because I saw probably only two, three months ago, somebody posted something on Facebook um, and it was similar to what Chidra was saying about the Arsenal game. It was like the TV footage, but off camera or whatever the, the phrase is, it wasn't to go out. And so Peter Brackley, the commentator, was talking over this footage. And the footage is actually from inside the benches after the game. And it's the police being attacked. What, the sun, in the Sunderland game? In the Sunderland game? No, no. I actually thought it was, when I first started watching it, I thought it was a Sunderland game, but they panned to the away end and it's Sheffield Wednesday. It's on the scoreboard. It's the it's Sheffield Wednesday. And also you could tell by the numbers of fans in there because Sunderland had the whole end. Um, but um, I have no recollection of the fighting between Chelsea and the police after that game or why it happened. But but it's interesting that Mark says that about like the atmosphere being lively in there. Mm. It, it, it was always... It was always lively in there. Um, I think just because it was time you could get really close to the away fans. Yeah, um, that was the reason for going in there, wasn't it? Well, partly, yeah. Uh, it was. It was just like a different buzz altogether. Um, mm. I mean, we we couldn't afford to go and sit in Gate Thirteen then. No, same. Yeah, and and you know, it's like. Just didn't like the idea of it, to be honest. Ne never even entered our heads, to be honest with you, to, nah. to go in the seats. But the benches was, um, I don't know, it was like it was like the naughty step at school. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good way of putting it, Marco. All right, so uh, a week later, uh, literally a week later, we, we play Sunderland in the first leg uh, up at Roker Park in the semi-final of the Milk Cup. Now, one of you clever people tell me, when was the last time we were in a semi-final of a of a of a cup competition, like a league cup or an FA cup? I know because you put it in on the um on the I? notes. Yeah, I'm not even reading them, am I? What a twat! Nineteen seventy-three, we lost to Norwich. That's right. I've been being there with my dad, absolutely gutted, because I think we'd beaten them just before in the league, three 0 or three one. And then the first leg of that semi-final in 73, we lost 2-0. Um, a bit like Sunderland, we were expected to win. Lost 2-0. Um, and then that was the, when they had the replay, um, when the fog came over, when Chelsea were losing 3-2, I think. My dad was at that game as well. And mm -hmm. um, I think about 10 minutes to go, they, they abandoned the game. And then he went back the following week and we lost again. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So this one... Uh... I mean, the context of this, you know, number one, there's a good argument, Kelv, isn't there, that this shouldn't really have been played because the pitch was iced over. Secondly, yeah. injuries are really beginning to take their toll on Chelsea at the moment. Um, we had quite a few casualties. Um, and thirdly, I, I mean, you know, to, I mean, Dale Jasper is, uh, is, is a young lad you know, who kind of broke through to the side this season and, and that you got to know quite well, Marco, didn't you? You tracked yeah. him down. Um, yeah. Quite a sad, sad little story, really. And a, but a lovely... I mean, I remember meeting him at your 50th, actually, in, in yeah. East Cheam Sports Club. And I just thought, what an absolute sweetheart this bloke was. But he had a he had a, a real mare that night. You could say unluckily, but he gives two penalties away, doesn't he? Doesn't he, Kel? 
Yeah, yeah, he does. Um, one of them, as I recall it, one was a bit of a pull. The other one, there was nothing in it. We got nothing off the ref all night. Um, but um, yeah, he was unlucky. There was no indication before that that he was going to struggle in a big game. You know, he was a young guy, but he, he had played so well. Yeah, he been good, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kel, and- Kel, sorry, was, was this... I remember, I remember talking to Dale. I don't know if it was when you came along or another time. And he told me that he had some kind of problem with his, um, with the like the sole of his foot, and and he had oh. like pain killing injections, and he couldn't put his foot down properly, and that's why. But obviously, he didn't want to not play, so he played right. when he shouldn't have played. I don't know if this was the game. He definitely told tells this story or he told this story uh, may well be so yeah um, may well be then and that's probably the most the story behind it and obviously because he was you know chelsea through and through grew up watching the team from the shed he was absolutely devastated and, and mm. it kind of you know stuck with him for a long time because he kind of you know he carried the blame with a lot of chelsea supporters who are you know unfortunately still sort of give him stick for it, well, no, maybe yeah. not now that he's passed away, but we're giving him sticks after that. Yeah, the game should never have been played. Of course, we were saying because of its um, the icy conditions, but it seemed to be a, a a norm of the period that it it didn't really matter what state the pitches were in. Somehow, a referee would find a reason for it to be played. I think the normal um, the normal argument was it's the same for both sides, except forgetting that we it was dealing with large crowds and it was professional football of the highest order that do, did need the ball to actually be be uh, um, rolling properly and the players to be able to stand up. And I have to say at the time, once again, I, to talk about refereeing again, um, I was consistently, when I, even at, at, at Park Football, which I was refereeing, I was constantly being told by the, uh, the, 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 the we got stuff through from the FA saying, um, make sure you attempt to play every game regardless of the conditions which I, by my, my local county in particular, which was made, made no sense at all. And I got a bad reputation because I kept going along and saying, no, you can't possibly play on that. Everybody's going to do themselves a mischief. Well, the ball's not going to roll properly. And in the end, I got, um, uh, I, I, that was the end of that. I wasn't asked to ref many more games because I wasn't, going to, I wasn't going to put the players through it. And yet there we saw it on a Saturday or midweek, really important fixtures being played on surfaces that just were not fit for purpose. And uh, for me, this was another one. It was too dangerous. Well, the first thing I saw getting into the ground, um, turned up early enough. Our train t- turned up early enough, but the police just wouldn't let us get anywhere near the ground. They were just on a wind-up. Um, so we got in after kickoff, and literally, as I got into the ground, Joe McLaughlin was being lifted onto a stretcher because he jumped for a ball, um, landed um, on the ice and dislocated his um, elbow, I think it was. Um, and that was to do with the, the conditions. It, it's dangerous. It's dangerous for players. And that's what the referee's first view of the pitch should be. Is this going to be yeah. dangerous to play? Well, that was the directive we were given. Is yeah. it, if it's dangerous, you, you don't play it. And uh, unless it, unless it's it. Chelsea, obviously. Yeah. You, you've got to remember that clause, JK, always. I forgot that one. I didn't have that at the time for when it was Castle No Rovers, Rovers versus uh, <laughs> Hillingdon Road City. Indeed. Um I mean, you know, we've alluded to this a minute ago, Kel, but I mean, and I wanted to bring the Chelsea specials in here as well, which is something we've not talked about actually to date, which is a shame really, because they were a bit of a thing. Um, 
But you were all on the train and then you were met by uh, the local constabulary who stitched you all up like kippers, didn't they? Yeah, so we got into the station. Um, I can't remember the name of the station, actually. Seaburn? Sounds Seaburn. about right. Yeah. So we were on the platform and then the police, like as soon as you stepped off, they were like properly in your face, aggressive. Uh, you know, and like it, the standard thing was you start singing. Um, anybody who made a sound was getting grief. Like you shut your mouth or you'll get this, shut your mouth, you get it. Then they kept us waiting there for another train to come in behind us. Um, they said that we weren't getting off that platform until the, the next Chelsea special was in and they'd take us all together. So we had to wait. Everyone was getting agitated anyway. The police would bang up for a row. Um, eventually got the two train loads together and then they walked us to the ground. But they were saying, if you came off the pavement, you were getting nicked. Um, so you've got God knows how many hundreds of people, maybe maybe 1,500 even, all walking on a narrow pavement in a hurry to get to the game because we know that they've kept us deliberately waiting that long so that we'd miss kickoff anyway. And we're talking about the special, so we're talking about men, women and children. We're not talking about Chelsea's firm. It's men, women and children. And they're walking us along towards the ground, shouting in our faces the whole time. I saw a couple of people trip on the, on the step and get booted by the police. Um, and then as we got quite close to the ground, and I don't know how they did it, but the police just disappeared. They just went on their merry way. Within seconds, they disappeared, and we were face-to-face -face with Sunderland's firm. Now, the police had played their part. They, that was all very tactical. And so the Sunderland fans, their, their firm, are whacking anything that moves, men, women, and children. Um, this is before the game has even, we've even got to the ground. Eventually got in, so there was a fairly volatile atmosphere anyway. There was, I don't know, thousands of Chelsea's, I don't know, maybe 8,000 8, Chelsea, maybe more, I'm not sure. Um, it's quite lively. We've been stitched up on the pitch. The first thing, the first time I heard, oh, sorry, coming home, they, they ran a, a train in. This I think it was like the 13th of February or something like that. It was absolutely freezing. Our train on the way home was like something out of the war. It was some sort of cattle truck with all the windows broken, all done in. And it pulled into the to the platform and everyone's looking at it thinking, what the fuck is that? Are we going home on a four-hour journey or whatever it's going to be in this freezing cold with that? And the police just said, that's the train, get on it. Um, so we had to go home in that. I got picked up at the station. Uh, by, I, I got a taxi, sorry, when I got to wherever it was, Houston or whatever. And the taxi driver said to me, you, you're back from Sunderland? And I said, yeah, it was probably about two in the morning or something. He said, all oh, went off, didn't it, at the end of the game? I said, did it? First I've heard of it. And he said, yeah, three coppers or something, Sunderland coppers put in hospital. And I was like, well, fuck, fuck for that, because that's what they were looking for. And what had happened is they'd gone into Hickey's firm and tried to move them out one of the stands and it had come on top for them. <laughs> and they had the cheek, the Sunderland police had the cheek to make complaints about it. They banned Chelsea fans from going to the league game there a few weeks later. They were whinging and moaning about it. Um, they'd asked for it and, and they got what they deserved. And the, what made me laugh when I looked at that clip that you sent round and you got this poncy yeah. um, journalist. From, from uh, Tyne Tees. I came down, Ken Bates was saying this about the Sunderland Police. He needs to get his own house in order. He's never paid to go and watch a football match and he's never had to worry about the police attacking him wherever he goes. And the fact of the matter is... Bates was right to say the things he said and to make a stand for his supporters. 
But that Sunderland police force were an absolute disgrace that night and they were cowards. They were absolute cowards. And I was glad to hear that it came on top for some of them. Mm. Marco, you, you were there too, were you, I presume? No, no, I wasn't. I didn't. I wasn't at that game. No, you had more sense in a way. It all, <laughs> it all comes back down to, uh, there's a bit of a hiatus actually. Um, you know, we play them on the 4th of March. So in, the, in that time, we beat Newcastle at home. Uh, we lose to Coventry away and we lose to Ipswich away. Um, and uh, in fact, actually, I was noticing this earlier on, actually, when I was looking down at the fixtures, our form kind of, you know, that, that match against Sunderland seems to, you know, instigate a horrible drop in form. As I said, we, we, we you know, we lost two matches on the spin. Uh, well, we beat Newcastle, so my theory's gone up in smoke, hasn't it? But anyway, the return, uh, the second leg of the semi-final, March the 4th, um, and it doesn't really get much better, although, you know, there are some amusing... Well, it depends just on your standpoint, I suppose, and whether you're Clive Walker or not. But there are some... I'll tell you a very funny story about this in a minute when you've done your thing. But uh, Clive Walker, of course, he's been transferred to Sunderland, uh, you know, kind of rubs it in our faces somewhat, doesn't he, Kelv, in the home leg? Yeah, he does. I mean, and it's not about bitching about him because he scored the goals. You know, he was doing his job and he was entitled to do that. But... He'd have known what that game meant to the Chelsea supporters. And he's one of the players who were responsible for the fact that we hadn't had any success for a period of time. <laughs> and when he scored that first goal, um, he went and he mocked the West Stand. He ran up to the West Stand giving it out. And so he can have no complaints when people want to give it back to him. You know, and this, you know, when David Speedy got sent off, he starts the situation with Speedy. Um, because he says to him, oh, do you want a ticket for the final, Speedy? You know, I mean, there's just no need for it. It's disrespectful. He shouldn't have come down and, and you know, he's full of crap anyway. Let's let's face it, he's full of crap. He's always like, you know, it's everybody else's fault with him, you know. He, he needs to remember, he gets called a legend by people because he scored a goal at Bolton. And it was a great goal. And it was probably the most important goal of our career, of, of our in Chelsea's history. But there's reasons why we needed that goal. And he's one of them because he hadn't done anything all season before that. And he'll tell you he played, he only picked 10 times or something. Actually, the record book says it shows he was picked 30 odd times that season. So it just irritates me. Anyway, our, our next Trump, guest Trump, that I've just Trump. got in from Zoom is, in fact, Clive Walker. No, no, I'm, I'm pulling you. <laughs> bring, bring him on. <laughs> if only, if only, um, Jonathan. Sorry, I rudely interrupted no, 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 you. I just say I think he, he. I don't think he liked being um, being forced out. I think he thought mm. that was, uh, um, uh, which is because he wasn't playing well enough. He should I have think. played better, shouldn't he? Indeed, he yeah. should. There, there were no, but I, he resented it. You could tell he resented. Well, um, he did get his comeuppance that night. I mean, Marco was talking about the benches a minute ago, but I mean, you know, very famously. Uh, when he scored, uh, you, uh, you probably know the bloke's name, John Laftley or something. John Leftley. John Leftley uh, bounds onto the pitch. I mean, you boys were there. You should tell the story, really, Marco. Well, we were, we were in the benches. Um, so I, again, like the atmosphere and everything that was going on. Um, you know, I mean, the whole thing ended up being the Grand National as well. Um, and the, the, this lad came running on, um, and then I think did did uh, the, the police came on, but the game was going on, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, and I, didn't they? Did did they score? They did. No, they that did. was 
their third yeah. goal. It, it wasn't when John Lefty was on the pitch, but their oh, third right. goal scored when the place was in the penalty area. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the madness of that. Because remember, all of us around saying, "You can't allow that goal." The police are on the pitch. What's going Two on? Two coppers offside. Yeah. Weirdly, weirdly, <laughs> this, this game, um, I, I'm pretty certain, was the one where me and my pals actually managed to watch the game from parts of the game from every end of the ground. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> we started in the shed, we went, we we we, we went in the benches. Uh, I'm pretty certain we had like part of the north. I don't think Sunderland had the whole of the north stand that night. Um, and then we went along there and in, into the east stand um, and then out. So, I was yeah. always confused, Marco, by the fact that they'd occasionally have bits of the, of the ground sort of uh, roped off. There were like four bays in the in the north stand. Yeah, yeah, and they all seemed to be empty. Then occasionally you'd see about fifteen people standing there, and you'd think, "Who are they? How have they managed to get in there?" I was all intrigued by that. There there was the bit between where the floodlight pylon was. Yeah, 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 yeah. In in that corner, you'd always get some. We 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 try to figure that out. It's like how how do you get? How'd you yeah, get absolutely. to the work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> without, without climbing Ken's fence. Yes. <laughs> Which, of course, good point. Is Ken's fence. Is Ken's, Ken's fence is not there yet, or is it? The electric fence. I think fence. after the game, when it? He started talking about yeah. that. Well, there was a very interesting comment on the Spurs game uh, a few weeks <laughs> after this, where in the, in the preamble of match of the day, they said... Uh, there's a few additions to Stamford Bridge, and we all know why that is. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, which well, I thought was quite little, You know, that, that Sunderland game, a little footnote to that, the following morning, I used to work on the Shepherd's Bush Road at the time, um, and I was going into work, and I was defiant, so I had my Chelsea shirt on. And I was walking <laughs> down the road, and I was about to go in, and I was walked past the Palais, walk past the police station, past the cafe, and that's where my office was. I'm just about to go in, and this bloke comes bounding over. I can still see him now, probably a couple of years older than me, mixed race guy. And he went, do you go last night, mate? Do you go? I was like, yeah, yeah. He goes, fucking brilliant. I've been in there all night. And he points to the police station. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a great story. Well, on that point, I mean, it did really... You know, Chelsea supporters, as we know, a current a common theme in this whole kind of fifty years of Chelsea series is the number of times Chelsea fans get on the pitch for one reason or another. But in those days, it was very much to create as much ag as they could, hopefully to get the game called off. But in the footage that I saw this afternoon, I've, I've got this burn. I, I really want to know who that bloke was who ran clearly from the benches in the West Stand, carrying a white <laughs> chair. <laughs> And which he looked like he'd nicked off a steward, and what and, and running towards the Sunderland fans in the North End, and what what was he going to do? Sit down in front of them and do him a comic comic routine? I mean, who knows? But I'd love to this plate running across the pitch with a white chair. What is all that about, Marco? What is that about? We do need to find him. The search for the guy with the white chair. Yeah, absolute chaos. But of course, at the end of the day, I'm afraid we got knocked out of the Milk Cup in the semi-final. But there is a there is a, a, a silver lining to this cloud because Sunderland lost in the final. So, near. And Clive Walker missed the penalty. Clive Walker became the first player to miss a penalty in a Wembley final, didn't he? 
I believe. And myself and Nick Brown and a couple of others happily reminded him of that when he was at QPR and we bumped into him on a train. Um, <laughs> it was the season after. And uh, he got off quickly, actually. He got off at the first stop. I'm not sure if he was only intended to go one stop. But after a couple of courses of Walker Mist at Wembley, he, got, he made a hasty retreat. Well, there you go. Well, funny enough, Jay, uh, Johnny Bumstead had a few words to say about all of that when I interviewed him on the Chelsea special. And here they are. And then we had that horrible leg up there yeah. where, with the ice rink of the pitch. You played yeah. in that one, I yeah, think, Yeah, it's the most disappointing game I've ever played yeah. in. The, 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 the away leg or the home yeah. leg? The away leg, it shouldn't have been played. I mean, it, yeah. was, it, was, it was freezing cold. You're up by the sea up north. And that was 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to get any better. It was unplayable, the pitch. It should, yeah, I'm gutted about that now, really. Well, Kel- I think we'd have turned it round if... If the pitch, the I think, I think if it had been fair conditions, we'd have, we'd have beaten. Because we was more of a footballing side. Well, than I think we'd have beaten, right? Yeah. It was so, it was so stupid. It was so unfair. And the return leg down here, Clive Walker scores that famous yeah. goal, doesn't he? Yeah. Two. I mean, two, even two, that yeah. game, that game was. I don't think that was playable either. Really? No, they had. Very muddy, wasn't it? Well, they had, they had blowers on it. It was all frozen. Yeah. Bits yeah. of it were frozen. Yeah. Bits were. Yeah. It's a different time. I mean, you'd never get that now. Wouldn't be I mean, the pitches wouldn't froze up, freeze up now. Did you give him grief after the game for scoring against you? Nah, <laughs> no, no, no one said anything. Well, to Speedy did. They needed a punch up. Didn't he? Yeah, well, I've heard yeah. that. Yeah. yeah but then so, David Speedy would have a punch yeah. up in an empty room. Really, but, uh, I think he was mouthing off, and Clive was mouthing. Walk said, uh, "No, and Speedy." Speedy and I'll leave you two on the door at Wembley. And that was <laughs> 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 so that's that's brilliant. I mean, it's a good question, actually, because, you know, the, we look at it very differently. I mean, you know, we weren't happy that he, he scored against. In fact, somebody went on the well, pitch trying to clump chair, him, didn't they? Yeah. And with a chair, someone ran on with a chair. I've room with Clive for years as well. <laughs> anyway, um, running down uh, the, the rest of the season, I mean, you know, classic kind of tomb, your season's over. I mean... We we were, you know, seven games to go. Uh, we were still in ninth spot. And I think there were a few hopes still that we might chase down a UEFA place. I think the interesting thing here, um, I wonder if either of you or any of you can remember this. Kerry had been scoreless from December to March, uh, which strikes me as astonishing in this season where he scored so many goals. Any Anybody remember that? Scored four. In... Is that in the league? Must be in the league. Must have been, yeah, because he scored in the cup, the League Cup run as well, didn't he? He yeah. scored at Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah. Mm. But well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that had any, any effect on our league form. I mean, as I said, it kind of deserted us a little bit after the first leg up at Sunderland. But actually, you know... Won three in a row, though, didn't we, after that? Yeah, you know, we kind of bounced back. We beat Watford away, Sunderland away, Teehee, QPR at home. And then we lost to Forest, drew away at West Ham. So the form wasn't too bad at all. Um and we did try and chase down this uh, UEFA Cup place. Um, sadly, it evades us. Um, you know, in fact, the interesting thing is, have we not lost to an already or about to be relegated Norwich in the last uh, game of the season? We may well have got it, Kelv, I think, actually. Well, the funny thing with that game, apart from the fact that it was entirely waterlogged, the whole pitch, I mean, we're talking about shin-deep water, the whole pitch. It was ridiculous. But when Norwich won that game, they had a, a handful of supporters in their way and, and they were celebrating like mad because that left, they, their season was over. They were nine points or eight points clear of Coventry who had three games left to play. And Coventry won all three, including against Champions Everton. Wow. And, and relegated Norwich from that point. Norwich was as good as safe when they beat us. 
like Coventry needed snookers, but they but they um they got yeah they got their their three wins and, and relegated Norwich. Yeah, but that no don't remember that at all. Pardon? I don't I don't I don't remember that that sort of relegation story at all. Yeah, yeah, that was like they were they were down. Coventry were pretty much down, and everybody thought well, they've got to play Everton. They're not going to beat Everton. Like, I've got a feeling they beat Everton like four 0 or something like that. I think Terry Gibson might have scored a hat trick. I could be, I could be making it up, but I've got a feeling it was a, it was a big win. I think they were um, on the beach, though, weren't they, Everton by then? Yeah, they, yeah. They were miles ahead, weren't they? Actually, yeah. you know, yeah. they were decent. But we had a great run. Yeah, we, we had a really good run at the end of the season. We did. There. I, I, we beat Sheffield Wednesday. And we beat Luton. We were very unlucky up at Liverpool, dodgy refereeing again. Well, we um, lost four three, didn't we? So, which is yeah. quite a result up there in a way. And we went up at Stoke on the last. Saturday of the season, the day of um, the Bradford fire. Yeah, I yeah. remember hearing about that because I went up with a guy called Danny Bradley, who's sort of fairly well known, I think, at Chelsea. We were again, we were supposed to be on the special, but there'd been some problem on the line, so the special didn't run. So everybody had to try and find another way of getting there. And we drove up in his van, um, and then on the way back, we heard about the trouble at the Birmingham Leeds game. And it turned out that a young boy died there. Mm-hmm. And then we heard about the fire at Bradford, and it was all pretty pretty grim and then obviously the uh, it was only a week or two later wasn't it that the Chelsea West Ham and Millwall fans went to Belgium and um yeah guys all happened <laughs> the Cockneys yeah, yeah. Being very sarcastic there sorry no I know we should we should reiterate uh, this is a this is a confounded lie perpetuated by the then uh Liverpool chairman um, that uh, that was Chelsea fans what done it at the Heisel when of course it had nothing to do with Chelsea fans um, but uh, I mean, I remember watching that game live and just awful, awful, awful watching it pan out. But of course, the repercussions are quite interesting. I mean, you know, we we did finish six, so we would have been outside of the UA for positions anyway. But had we had we beaten Norwich, got into fifth, we wouldn't have been able to play in Europe anyway because thanks to the Heisel issue, uh, everybody got banned anyway. So ultimately, it wouldn't really have mattered. Um, and, and then it meant that we could win the full members' cup. Well, indeed. Yeah. More of that next week, JK. It is, in fact, that year. But look, over and all, I mean, how how did you feel about this season, JK? Uh, I loved it. it. We were back in the first division. We could compete. Uh, I loved uh, Speedo. Uh, I loved Nevin. I loved Dixon. Uh, I was disappointed that Mickey Thomas got sold uh, and Joey Jones. Um, uh, and, and I was intrigued by some of the purchases I didn't quite get. Um, uh, was McAndrew injured, injured that he didn't play very often? Because he, I uh, think he'd gone. Um, he'd gone John, by then, had he? He might have gone after the promotion season. Oh, had he gone at the beginning of the season? Oh, no, no, he hadn't. No, because he was on no, the bench. Hadn't, no. Yeah, I think he'd gone by the end of this season anyway, but he was definitely on the bench at Arsenal, wasn't he? Mm. Yeah. But mm. I, and also, um, <laughs> uh, Darren Wood had come in, but didn't he didn't play all that often, did he, Darren Wood? I don't think, but he was seemed to have a decent he was giving he was giving opportunities to youth um and i think john john hollins they approved of him as a coach so all in all um i, I thought it was uh, i thought it was a terrific season and i was hoping for better the following season but as always you you're looking for well, who they're going to buy what the situation's going to be it's that's the, the and yeah the, i can i i can remember even at the time jk you were scoffing at all the transfer rumours from the ITK broadsheets at the time. Oh, every single one. You were issuing letters to the club about, about CFAX and the rubbish rumours they were coming out of. I, 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 I was. It was. And also the, 
the uh, the Osgood is coming back rumour that I really object to. <laughs> <laughs> Quality. What about you, Marco? I mean, what did the season mean for you? Oh, I was I was I was gutted for weeks after the sort of the the whole Sunderland thing. I mean, I I'd convinced myself we were going to go to Wembley by then. Um, which was obviously disappointing. And then, it, I don't know, I, th- I think the season just fizzled out, really. Um, we went up to, I remember we went up to Stoke by car and we went to Bristow's Boozer again. Um, and we were just sort of sitting in there going and it like just saying, well, what a shame, you know. Um, could, could have been better. But then, I don't know, it, like the mindset was completely different because all, all you had to go on um, was, you know, what you read in the papers. Um, th- there was nothing else in terms of internet room, you know, rumours or social media. Um, no, open, no. What's his know, name? Pedale or whatever his name is. Oh yeah, Pedale. Yeah, Pedula. I mean, there was none of that, and. Uh, you know, stuff like, I mean, obviously I know Kelv knows because he, he's a lot closer to it, but even sort of at that time, like the awareness of John Neal's situation, um, you know, all of that um, and, uh, you know, kind of like the subtle changes that were going on, you just weren't aware of it. So it was just like, yeah, we finished six. That was great. Um Look forward to it, doing it all again next season. Kelv, I mean, Marco makes a really interesting point about John Neal's health, and I, I and I suspect he's right. You, you wouldn't have been aware of it. I mean, the players, when I've spoken to them, all were, of course, because they would have been closer to it. And it was a bit of a dark cloud hanging over the end of the season. Uh, you know, and obviously it has a massive impact going forward, doesn't it? And there's I, there's always that feeling... I mean, even though next season, sorry, people, I'm going to, you know, what do they call it? Spoiler alert. We do finish six again next season and we play bloody well too. But there's always that sense I, I've often felt, which is that what if, you know, what if John Neal hadn't, you know, had his health problems, his heart problems? Because he, he, he had an op, didn't he, towards the end of the season, I think? I think it was the previous summer he had the... He had the op then, didn't he? Of course he did, because they they didn't want to over-celebrate at Grimsby, did they? Because That's they were, right, yeah. yeah. And then I think... Um, I didn't. I was never actually really aware of this until I started writing Celery, and I spoke to some of the players, and they were telling me that, although John Neal was around that this season's 84-85, uh, a lot of the time the, the team was being picked and led by either John Hollins or Ian McNeil, and there was some doubt as to who really sort of held sway out of those two. I don't think they really sort of got on anyway. Um, so I don't think we were, as fans, we were all really aware of, of this. And I think when John Neal was um, relieved of his of his job, I think it did come as a surprise. Mm. Um, I think John Hollins played the chairman, possibly. Um, but at the same time, I have to say that myself and I don't think many other Chelsea sports thought it was a bad decision to mm. put Hollins in charge because he did he did appear to be the right man. Um, and history tells us he wasn't. But fair play to, to Bates. He wanted to keep hold of him because at that time he looked like one of the best young managers in in, in the game, you know. Um, but I look, I look back on 84, 85, I'm, 
very similar to Mark in terms of the League Cup thing. I will, for the rest of my life, I will always regret that we didn't win at Wembley with that team. Mm. Um, that team deserved it. Those players deserved it. I know we won the full Members Cup, but you not know, the same to win. No, it's not. No, and, and and we should have won the Milk Cup that season. We went into the semi-finals. The other the other semi-finalists were Sunderland, Norwich, and Ipswich, and we were better than all of them. Yeah. Um, so I'll always be sorry that we didn't win it, but had a great sense of pride from from that season. And obviously that Arsenal game is amazing. The Sheffield Wednesday game, you know, there are certain games, iconic events. You know, like as 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 husbands and as fathers, we say, best day of my life was getting married. Greatest night of my life was seeing my children born. Absolute bollocks. The best <laughs> night ever happened in Munich. The second best happened when we beat Borough in 97. And the third best was Sheffield Wednesday at Hillsborough. That was immense. Well, there you go. Kerwin, what a brilliant way to kind of round this up. I just think as a point of order, uh, we just need to mention a couple of things. And the first is is absolutely phenomenal, I think, which is the fact that Kerry Dixon scored 36 goals that season. I mean, that that is phenomenal, I think, in anybody's book. And... The, the you know the caveat with that is how on earth please please explain to me all three of you how Kerry didn't get Player of the Year that season and David Speedy did not not to diss David Speedy at all because he was a brilliant player for us but how can you not give Player of the Season to a player who, who'd scored thirty six bloody goals Marco well, I don't know uh, who decided these things well clearly not us <laughs> it's, it's done on a vote though wasn't it it was still done, done on a vote. vote. Yeah, fans voted. I think Speedy had an exceptional all-round season. Um, you know, yeah, he he, um, he he had a really good all-round as a player, as a creator, scorer, everything. He had a really good season. As did Pat Nevin again. He was superb. But you can't get away from thinking that Kerry was very unlucky to not win the Player of the Year that year when he scored that many goals. I have to say, J.K. I, I mean, and I've told I've told him this as well, largely because I, I love I, lo- I always love giving Kerry the big up because he, he loves his, having his tummy tickled, as we all know. But it amazes me he never won the Player of the Year season at Chelsea. Yeah, that's right. I remember because I thought he had, and he hadn't, did he? No, right. no. There he... must have been something about perhaps it's that thing of liking industrious players rather than uh, might it be the opposite because you normally like the striker, the one who puts yeah. the ball in the net the most. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I'm bemused by that, but. They were a great combination that season, and uh, perhaps there was more love for for Speedo getting stuck in, and uh, uh, and and you know raining down retribution on people who were fouling people. I, I think what people enjoyed in the I, end. I think you're right, J.K. I think given the times, given the makeup of Chelsea's fan base, they think that they were always going to give the Player of the Season award to the guy who clumped people like they did. More, yeah. You yeah. know, maybe that's what I it was. It was it, the fact that he was suspended so often was was uh, was uh, um, you know testament to his uh, his aggressive nature. Indeed, indeed. Um, Marco, would you like any last words on on Kerry and the Kerry and uh, Speedo debate? Yeah, I mean, I, I found it bizarre. I, I mean, I've you know obviously I've got to know Kerry quite well um, in, in in later years, but he, he kind of. Because he's like, um, I don't know, a month younger than me. You know, he, he was kind of, you know, what a player. You know, you just kind of watched him 
and thought, wow, you know, this guy is my age and look at what he's doing. He should be playing for England. Um, and he scores all those goals. I mean, for me, there, there was never, and it, you know, and it is bizarre he never won uh, Player of the Year award. Um, you know, for me, he was the complete Chelsea player um, of of that, you know, of that era. Um, you know, him and him and Pat Nevin for me sort of epitomised everything I loved about um, that that Chelsea team. Um, you know. And that's it. I've got nothing else to say. On I, that. I, th- I think you're right. That is it, isn't it? And I, I would, I would absolutely echo that. And as you know, I, like you, I've got to know Kerry really, really well in the last few years. And because he's <laughs> in my eyes, that I mean, in a sense of the '80s, that season for me is iconic for exactly what you were saying. It's it's Pat Nevin, who liked the same music as me. It's Kerry Dixon, who was the living, breathing embodiment of Roy of the Rovers and playing for my team and scoring goals for fun, all wrapped up in the most iconic Chelsea shirt we've ever had. And when I when I die, when I shuffle off this mortal coil, one of the images in my head will be Kerry and Pat running around in that shirt. You know, you'll be that, wearing that shirt when you die. You think? I, I, th- I think I will get buried in it. I, I would have worn it uh, tonight in honour of the occasion, but I wore it on Sunday as a good luck charm so that we would beat the Wolves, and it worked. And, of course, it's still sitting in my dirty washing bin. And I'd, you'd better, I'd you'd better get it washed and and dried and I know for Saturday, Saturday I know exactly but I was going to wear it tonight but I think that's true I mean I, I for me eighty four eighty five is just such an iconic season and it's all wrapped up with that but Kerry and Pat for me stand out and and adorning that beautiful shirt I think it it really will will stay long in the memory anyway on that massive mic drop moment. Uh, I think it's time to say adios. What a fun, fun, fun evening this has been. I mean, I, I, I could do another two hours talking to you lot about 84, 85, quite happily. Um, as I said, a brilliant season. But I'm going to thank you all. Uh, JK, as always, uh, what a maestro you are. I've My memory's so shot in comparison with Kelvin and Marco, who've been fabulous. Well done, guys. Brilliant stuff. Really interesting. Yeah, it's a pleasure, isn't it? Fantastic stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Marco, always a pleasure speaking to you, my son, and lovely to have your knowledge on such a fantastic season. Really appreciate it. I enjoyed the trip down memory lane. Yeah, it's great fun, isn't it? Great fun. Not not as much hard work as writing a book about it, I suspect. I don't know. It's just <laughs> nice. Just nice to. I don't know. I think I write books just so I can sort of read them again to help my memory. And do programmes like this, for which we are grateful. Uh, and in 20 years' time. Indeed. And last but by no means least, the uh, the absolute, uh, you know, the monster of the 80s, Mr Kelvin Barker. I mean, not only for being on our shows and, 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 and adding your absolute brilliant knowledge and insight, but for writing the bloody books as well, which, are, as I said, if, if, you, if, if you're a Chelsea fan and you haven't bought Celery representing Chelsea in the 80s, then you need to give your head a massive wobble, mate. As simple as that. You need well, to no. pickle your bum with a copy of the book. You do, indeed. <laughs> it's, it's a big, thick one. Be warned, it's a big, thick book. But don't use it for loo paper if you run out. <laughs> that would be sacrilege. Kelvin, you've been absolutely beyond brilliant as ever. We look forward to seeing you again at the at the end of the 80s for the 89-90 season. And I'm already looking forward to that. But thank you for tonight. You've been brilliant. 
Absolute pleasure. No problem at all. I'm going to have to give my mum a call now, but the good thing is she still thinks I'm the same age as when as I was in 1984, so I can have a complete retro nightmare. Well, I, w- I wish we were all the same age as we were then. Uh, it would be, it would be, I don't know, what can one say? It'd be brilliant. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 